0: But uh, the Jark is definitely out.
1: Welcome to the Star Wars Collector's Archive podcast. It's the Vintage Pod, a monthly audio magazine dedicated to vintage Star Wars toys and memorabilia. Hosted by Sky Payne, Fun, and Stephen B. Danley. Market data mined by Brisbane Brisbane Mike and Fratastic Pete. With tech support by The Low Art. In this month's Vintage Pod, we have a renamed roundtable featuring Sithsonian curator and Star Wars completist Duncan Jenkins, who tells us about Aquafun and how to rock 20 iron on shirts at once. We are also joined by Hanhoft collector and 12back.com webmaster CJ Fawcett, who teaches us the meaning of the words molded legs, skew, soft copy, and rubber, plus the origin of gong and the mysterious mystery boxes on this month's Kivecast Vintage Pod. Wampa Wampa! Welcome to the Vintage Pod number 38. Yep, for uh, for March here, although, you know, I was thinking, Steve, at some month we should probably just skip ahead, and because, <laughs> you know, this is really the April podcast, you know, because we're recording in the middle of March, but everyone knows I'm going to release it on March 31st.
2: <laughs> That's right, like... Eleven fifty
1: nine. Yeah, so I mean, you know, we could talk about Easter's or, you know, uh, Saint Patrick's Day. Uh, <laughs> I had to like go and find a little leprechaun toy to put in my kid's leprechaun trap. Oh man! You know that's a thing now, Steve. You gotta like every holiday, you gotta go out and buy some garbage.
2: I had you no know. idea that leprechaun traps were for real, man.
1: That's well. Okay, I'll I'll tell you the truth about it later. All right. (laughs) Anyways, yeah, it's it's exciting, Steve. Uh, You know, we we always start off with with the – and, you know, it was Han Hoth, so I was thinking about bringing out the old – the only theological debate in all of Star Wars where Hoth says, I'll see you in hell. Oh, Uh, yeah. Which which then makes you wonder, you know, what does hell look like if you are not bound to one earth? Um, But I'm not going to talk about that, Steve.
2: Okay, we'll, we'll leave that for another, another,
1: another time. <laughs> but What I am going to talk about is, you know, I've been thinking about it because, well, you, you get ready, Space Freaks, because we're going to have another roundtable episode. That's right. And I was trying to think, how can I make that more Star Warsy? And I was like, I don't know, boring conference table on the Death Star, <laughs> or this or that, and I thought, there it is, the, the Jarek table. But then I realized we're vintage, so we can't use an EU name. So no, no. Them, what do you think, Steve? We call it the Hollow Chess Table. Yeah, I think that works. Right. Yeah. Or even Space Chess, because that's what it used to be called back in the day. Hey, hey, there's hey, a man. there's a call for the old listeners. Was that called Space Chess back in the day, or was it called Hollow Chess?
2: Ooh, I kind of like Space Chess.
1: Yeah, because Hollow Chess sounds like I don't know star Trekky, you know <laughs>
2: maybe a little yeah
1: i mean i know we're, we're blurring the lines so anyways this month's movie observation actually comes from my brother amos Ooh. um because you know he listens to the show we've talked about it a lot you know he listens to it mainly because i don't answer my phone very often and, <laughs> it's your uh, only
2: line of communication <laughs>
1: yeah my only line of communication so if you're out there listening uh hey brother um but uh he made this point he's like you got to put this in the show And uh, he's had a couple of these, but this one is related to to space chess. And that is, you know, what's the the, the famous line from the space chess scene?
2: About letting the Wookiee win.
1: Right, okay, you got to let the Wookiee win. Now let's think about the reasoning, Steve. And this is kind of getting into your territory because I found the script. Okay. Uh, He says, Han Solo says, that's because droids don't pull people's arms out of their sockets when they lose. Right. Now this is a great line, right? That's what prompts to let the Wookiee win. Yeah. But it doesn't make any sense if you actually look at the sentence. Droids don't pull peoples, first of all. Yeah. RTD2 is not a peoples. And then arms. r 2 doesn't have arms. He has legs. So it's really not much of a threat at all. You know? I mean, that'd be like, you know, if, if, if we were having a fight, right? Or, or something like we were about to get in a fight, like, oh, better be careful, Steve. Sky is known to pull the bark off a tree. <laughs> No, you wouldn't like stop fighting me
2: no no, i think that wouldn't be a deterrent <laughs> yeah, <laughs> or anything <laughs> i don't know it might be the opposite
1: yeah so anyways that's uh that that was thanks to to amos and and actually to steve i realized i've never done this before where i ask for something but he actually asked me to, to put a, a call out for the uh like the little lobby card book that came out in the 80s uh-huh. it's kind of like it's got like pictures and stuff and it's one of the first things you could actually get If anyone has one of those really cheap, just uh, contact us. How can you contact us, Steve?
2: Let's see. we got a new email address, don't we? That's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I keep wanting to say (laughs) Kivecast at gmail.com, but I know that's wrong.
1: Well, you know, if you send one to KiveCast at gmail.com, it will go there. But it's thevintagepod at gmail.com. Okay, there we go. We'll get more into the name change later. Uh, And also, uh, it's been probably, about five, six months that we've had the Steve Flips the Script section. And this is where Steve pours through the script archive at the American Film Institute.
2: (laughs) Writers Guild Foundation.
1: The Writers Guild Foundation of the American Film Institute. (laughs) Uh, And he has access to all of the drafts, original archival paper. It's getting really, really hot in here. Flip the Script. So, Steve, what do you want to talk to us today about in Flip the Script?
2: Alright, so I think this month it's it's Han Hoth related, but it kind of goes off on a, a tangent, which re- never stops us. Um yeah. <laughs> not at all. But uh this month uh, I was reading an inter you know, that first exchange between Han and General Riken, where he's or Riken, however you want to pronounce it, where he's describing how dangerous it is for him to really be there. And uh he says to him, and this is in the Kazdan the revision, um <laughs> Every day, more bounty hunters are searching for me. If I don't pay off Java soon, there'll be too many to stop. Remotes, gonk killers, and who knows what else. So when I <laughs> saw that, I'm like, wait a minute. Gonk killers? This has to be the earliest incarnation of that word. So I did a little bit of research to figure out where the word gonk came from. Okay. And uh, so I, I found some of those great old Usenet discussion posts.
1: Okay, so, so just the... to get super old school, we'll talk yeah. maybe a little bit to CJ and, and Duncan about this in our... Special section, but before there was rebel scum, before there was message boards, there were these Usenet boards. And right. Someday we'll have Tommy Garvey come on to talk about the history of those.
2: Yeah, and this uh, this goes all the way back to rec. sf. star wars, which is like my that was my introduction to vintage. Really, was getting on that that Usenet. Um, and so there's a, a guy that goes by the name of Sean Sullivan, um, and according to St.
1: Patrick's Day. <laughs>
2: That's right. (laughs) According to Sean, uh, he writes, this is his uh, post from about 2001, he writes, you see, about eight years ago, I made a post to a Star Wars Usenet group coining the term gonk to refer to the two-legged power droid that shows up in every movie. Within days, there was an ongoing fervor of activity, and gonk became a national figurehead. Now, years later, it seems to be an accepted term, both officially and colloquially, (laughs) but I could never prove this claim, so I stewed in silence. Agonizing, anonymous silence. I couldn't demonstrate the fact.
1: Wait, so he, he said eight years ago on a Usenet yeah. forum in 2001? Well, see, this is,
2: yeah, in 2001. He, so he's referring to another post from 1993. Oh, my and God. And he have that, too. So it goes back even further. And, uh, Wait, was he
1: a part of the National Defense Squad?
2: Maybe. Maybe. maybe I don't
1: know. I mean, I was super early. Yeah, I guess that makes sense.
2: This is 93. I think I was on there in, like, 95. So I got it for my 10th birthday. It was, like, AOL Internet. Yeah. Yeah. But, uh... Hey, so this hey, is.
1: Sort did sort you ever... Like, that? Th- I remember that thing. I had the first couple of versions of AOL, and they used to have a button that just said Internet? And yes. You'd, and you would click on it, and nothing would happen. Oh, I never actually got the, the
2: supposed Internet to work. Yeah. Uh, I mean, it never actually, you know, materialized. But the, the four, like, the Usenet groups did work, thankfully. That was, like, the lowest common denominator. Right. Um... So anyway, you go back to nine, ten, ninety-three, and this is the original, according to that, here it is, by far the best star character in the Star Wars universe, and he describes the power droid. Um, not only is he a prolific actor, but he's also perhaps the most perceptive, he has the most perceptive lines in the film. He just says, gonk. <laughs> so, um... And he ends it with all down, all bow down before gonk, and it got some good reception there. But I just feel terrible for having to tell Sean that he was not the guy who coined the term gonk. It was actually Lawrence Kasdan until proven otherwise in 1978.
1: Wow, that's amazing. But, but Steve, I mean, it's amazing yeah. how well our two sides connect, you know, because my whole thing was about, well, who care? Why would a droid care if a Wookie tore the arms off of a person? Yeah. But here, he's actually saying he's being chased by gonk killers. Yeah. So that could be people who kill gonks. That's true. Not, yeah. killer, gu- not killer not killers. Not killer
2: droids. <laughs>
1: Yeah. Hey, wow. that's
2: yeah, that's a good point. He does get tortured in the Return of the Jedi, and they just may have the the short end of the stick. I don't know.
1: It's true. Maybe maybe Lawrence Kasdan was actually talking about the uh, E V eighty eight, right? <laughs> oh wait, his name's not E 88 You just but... you
2: just merged the two. That's okay. Oh my
1: god. All right. Well, uh, you know, it's not like I host a it's not like I host a podcast about vintage Star Wars toys or anything.
2: Nah,
1: nah, I matter. <laughs> yeah, awesome, Steve. Well, that's that's really cool that uh, that Han was afraid of the Gonk Killers. He, he was terrified <laughs> of Eighty Eight. That's that's pretty much it. Yeah. Well, uh, speaking of Dejarik and speaking of our space chest round roundtable. Uh, we are going to be expanding this conversation, and we're going to be That's talking fair. to uh, not Chris Joe I believe this is the first time we've ever not called him, and we said we were going to call somebody. Yep. Uh, we're going to be talking to CJ Fawcett and Duncan Jenkins. So uh, I think, just out of simplicity, you know what, Steve, I've got enough time in the month. I, I guess I'm going to have to come up with a drop for the Ooh. Space Chess Roundtable. Right. So uh, that's going to take the place of the news drop, which uh, okay. I've been kind of taken out anyways because, I don't know, there's this other Serge Gansberg song I like more. So uh, let's get ready to hear whatever kind of new drop I come up with. And on the other side, we'll talk to Duncan and CJ. Sweet.
0: Right.
1: Take a seat at the board with the Space Chess Roundtable here on the Vintage Pod. It is a silly place. I see your point, sir. All right, Steve. We've got our uh, second official uh, round table here. And we can actually ask them uh, because, well, why not ask the guest? We're trying to decide what sounds better for, for the podcast. Should it be the Dejaric table, the hollow chess table, or the space chess table? What, what, what do you think, uh, Chris Fawcett?
3: <laughs> I'm not sure what, what you're asking. Oh, so, or is it a, you're, you're naming this
1: this episode? No, we're naming the segment. So whenever we have more oh, than one segment. person, like a round oh, okay. table is boring, right? So yeah, like, okay. Should we call it the hollow chess God, round yeah. table, the space chess round table? We're going with space chess as of now, but I don't know what you guys think.
3: I,
0: I think I like that one the best.
1: Yeah, what, you th- you think so too, Duncan? We should keep it space chess.
0: I'm a little contrary, I guess. I will. I would uh, prefer hollow chess, but uh, DeJark is definitely out.
1: Yeah. <laughs>
0: yeah, I agree with that.
1: Yeah, it's it's funny because the the first shirt that I ever made for celebration, well, actually, my brother made it, but it's it's a parody of the chessmen cookies, and my brother, you know, he made DeJark men. And I remember thinking, how come none of the vintage collectors think this is funny? <laughs> Uh, but anyway, Steve, that was, that was at
3: the a- time they probably didn't know what the, what the word meant.
1: Yeah, it's true. Uh, but I'm I'm being a terrible host, Steve. So now that we are at the uh, the space chess or hollow chess roundtable, uh, let's let's introduce our guests. The the first person here is Duncan Jenkins, who we've talked a lot about him as an author uh, and as a contributor. But uh, how do you like to best be known, Duncan, as a, as a collector? He's a
0: really nice guy. Maybe no, I'm I'm a completist. Okay. What what does that mean to you? I enjoy everything Star Wars, whether it's old or new, whether it's uh, belt buckles to bubble bath or uh, 12 backs to uh, whatever the other one is. I can't remember off the top of my head. Sorry. Um, But uh, just anything that's out there, I really like it.
1: Awesome. Great. And uh, let's see. Your last book was the cast and crew, right?
0: That's correct.
1: I mean, do you want to like you know plug it or something? Or I mean, I guess we all pretty much own it by now. But uh, where can people go to to buy books written by Duncan and some other guy?
0: Yeah, there's another guy whose name is Gus. Um, Some of you might be familiar with him. And uh, Gus and I have written uh, three books now. And uh, the best place to get those is either at completestpublications.com or at paizo.com, P-A-I-Z-O.com. But they're also available on Amazon. Awesome. And
1: you also have maybe the best maybe the best named collection. I, I don't know. I, I've always really enjoyed the name of your collection. What, what, what do you call your collection, uh, Duncan?
0: It's the Sithsonian.
1: Yeah, that's, that's just beautiful. And, and I think you can get away with it, too, from a vintage snob standpoint. Because, you know, at least on the back of the tops cards, they said, you know, Dark Lord of the Sith. So it's not, it's not too prequely, you know?
0: Exactly. You know? Vader was a Sith back at the very beginning. We always wondered what exactly that was. Um, then we found out that there's only two of them. But, uh, <laughs> yeah, we definitely uh, definitely enjoyed uh, the Sith. And so I thought Sithsonian was a, a perfect name.
1: All right, yeah, that's, yeah that, that, that's awesome. Let's see. And so then we're, we've been talking about whether or not we should call <clears> – <throat> what do you think, Steve? I think you probably should call him CJ just because there's so many Chris's in the hobby that
2: Yeah, that's true. I've always I always thought of him as CJ. So
1: <laughs> Okay, so, yeah, so that's C- fine by me. Alright, so CJ, why would you be on this podcast where we're talking about Han
3: Hoff? Well, that is uh, my character collection and uh goes probably all the way back to oh gosh, probably nineteen ninety six. And um, I remember, like, me and John Luton from the Ohio Club kind of pioneered that whole collective character kind of a thing way back then, so, uh, you know, that's why I'm here this time. I guess you guys are doing hoff today, so.
1: Yeah, we are, and it turns out there's a lot of different subjects of debate. First of all, am I the only one, Steve, who always thought he was wearing sunglasses in the figure? Did you feel that too, (laughs) Steve?
2: No, no, I, I got the sunglasses vibe too.
1: Yeah, and did you have the same thing, CJ?
3: Um, no, I kind of always, always, you know, just thought it was goggles, I guess. Oh, okay. I, I not, not so much sunglasses.
1: Oh, well, that, that's, that's how I always felt it. And then also we're going to, we're going to talk later about, uh, about websites. Now, what is the status of your website, uh, CJ, 12 com?
3: <laughs> the status is I probably haven't updated it in probably eight years. So it's, <laughs> it's pretty dated. Like it's, it a, looks classic, like a, CJ. it's yeah, a classic CJ. Yeah. It, it's it has a classic theme going on. I did that intentionally by not updating it for eight years. But, uh, so, but, you know, I, you know, I run my, uh, email through there and, you know, I like, you know, it's, it's there, it's done you know, I don't update it much, but, you know, it was kind of one of the, the earlier sites or, um, production stuff. So I just kind of leave it up there for posterity's sake.
1: Well, it's, it's great. I think that, uh, I, I don't know. I, I like the the articles on the archive about the pre-production process, but uh, Chris Jorgulis is writing on there. I, I don't know. It's like all on one page, and it's pretty easy to scroll through. Yeah. Um,
3: so th- that's that's probably that's probably the best part. that's still up there, there's some really interesting stories. Um, the Rent Book affair, that whole big oh, yeah. transcript, the whole thing is still up on there, which is is just a fascinating and crazy story if you haven't read it. So, um, and like you said, there's a. Few, Kind of interesting articles in there, like making of a of a figure that Chris wrote up. That's a little more maybe concise than, than uh, on the archive, and um, a couple other ones, flying rocket, on uh Final Cave Java bubbles, and and things like that. So,
1: well, well, Greg, I think it's later. We're going to talk about the the difference in in the way that sites are made now versus the way they were made then. Because uh, I mean, you know, I. I also have a Star Wars website that I haven't updated in several years, (laughs) and uh, (laughs) every year it's like, would you like to pay the fee again? I'm like, yeah, I'll keep paying it. I'm not going to do anything with it, (laughs) but uh, uh, anyways, well, I I think, you know, now let's kind of get get to discussion, and uh, I I was talking uh, last month, uh, Duncan, with, um, you know, with Jimmy Mack from Rebel Force Radio, formerly the Forcecast, and he quoted you as saying that you prefer the stories of Star Wars over the memorabilia, uh, first of all, is that is that correct, or was Gus just talking for you?
0: No, that was uh, I remember the interview uh, that we had that uh, with them, and uh, so when he mentioned that, I was kind of actually surprised that he remembered the that time. But uh, it it's what was the the paramount, or what is the precedent for us is the movies, um, not the toys. And I was giving him a a, a story where. I had just been to uh, JediCon in Germany and was uh, talking with a lot of uh, the vintage collectors that were out there, and uh, it was very interesting because there were Star Wars activities that were going on, and a couple of the people were like, well, we're not really fans of the movie. We just really like the toys, and that was just kind of an interesting, uh, different way of looking at things for me, so it kind of surprised me, and so that's what I was mentioning to him.
1: Right. Well, I mean, I, I think it's, it's neat because, you know, part of our show is we have the dynamic where uh, even though I'm a snob in every other aspect of my life, I'm actually, you know, a pretty standard Star Wars fanboy, and I love all this stuff, and, and Steve is the real <laughs> vintage snob who looks down on me for liking Clone Wars and all that junk. Um, uh, uh, CJ, do you consider yourself to be sort of a, a, a good standard uh, sort of vintage snob, or do you kind of dip into to whatever's happening in the last uh, 15 years?
3: Well, there's kind of two categories there. As far as collecting and the toys go, I'm pretty much just the vintage stuff, the new stuff. Yeah, it's cool to look at and nice to play with with my nephew maybe, but, um, you know, I really don't get into it that much. But on the flip side, the story side, you know, I pretty much read almost, most of the novels that come out, um, read a lot of the comic books that come out. You know, I've watched all the Clone Wars. So um, from that point of view, I I am – I think I'm – kind of in line with what you're saying about the story versus the the collecting and i really do kind of align with that the story thing is kind of most important to me and if it weren't for that the story that i loved i wouldn't have any interest in in the toys at all
1: uh, all so right I, well, well steve you're outnumbered dude i say we go yeah, get them huh <laughs> Oh, this is great, because, you know, last time we did this, everyone's like, yeah, who cares, who cares? Well, then, I'm actually, I'm happy to talk to you, because, you know, in the last month, it's not vintage news, necessarily. But, you know, Disney seems to have really dropped, you know, the hammer on, on everything. And so, you know, as we've talked about, you know, they, they canceled the 3D release, which I feel really bad for my son, because he was in my, my wife's, you know, tummy during Revenge of the Sith when it came out. And he's been waiting since then to see the movie. We're always like, "It's too violent, it's too violent." Wait till it comes out in three D. Then you can see it for the first time. Like canceled. <laughs> it's like,
2: oh man.
1: Yeah, and and I don't, you know, they they just canceled the Clone Wars, and uh, they canceled that that Detour show, which I didn't even know about because I was so busy at C six. But it actually looked like it was pretty funny. Um, I don't know. Do you guys get the feeling that they're just trying to like? Kill the, the fanboy
0: a... I think it's more that they want to just concentrate and put all the focus on episode seven uh, you know I obviously i don't know what's going on there, but my my sense is that they just feel like that's the big thing is that they w- really want this to be built around the new movies and not a lot of the ancillary other uh, things
1: I, I I find it interesting. I think that it seems like a time where perhaps the more crusty vintage I hate Jar Jar. Folks may uh, may be happier, and then the rest of us, uh, who've been sort of following along, may maybe may, may lose out a bit.
0: I uh, think that detours was going to have a, a fair amount of vintage feel to it. There was a lot of uh, nods to to the vintage uh, in some of the scenes that I saw. Uh, I just think that they're just trying to put their own stamp on things, and all the old things, as far as the Clone Wars and different things like this, even though they were great and will make them money, it wasn't a Disney-led event and it wasn't being distributed through Disney Channel and different things like that. So it's, let's pass on this. Let's start doing our own thing. Let's t- turn the um, animation department into something that uh, we can control. You know, control.
1: see where they go with it, but I, I can already tell that Steve is suffering over there with all this expanded <laughs> universe talk. Are you doing okay, man? Are you, are you about to <laughs> throw good, down right. the microphone? <laughs>
2: No, no, I'm good. <laughs>
1: <laughs> All right, do you want to lead us into our next topic of discussion? This sort of—it's uh, going to lead into a—we've been having a lot of moral quandaries lately. We had one last right. month with uh, with Chris Tragulius about folding up box flats and whether or not that's uh, that's morally acceptable. Uh, but here's a different one, Steve. So what what happened with this uh, this auction recently?
2: Yeah, so this is news to me. Um, I guess there was a supposed prototype Anakin Skywalker that was on a. A cut card for eighty-eight, I believe, that sold on eBay, um, for about eight hundred bucks. It was that has that dark charcoal colored cape, um, but it was sold by the infamous uh, Pablo Artezi. Um, so that brings up this whole issue of, uh, well, this guy has has a past. Uh, do you factor that in? What what what's your what's your take on it?
1: Yeah, and, and I think. Two, he's also dead, so that's another. Thing. Oh, right, that's the
2: other thing. thing yeah, I mean, that, that's.
1: Do you, do you remember CJ? When did he die? It was like a year ago, two years ago.
3: Yeah, I I don't recall exactly. I I mean, I remember I remember hearing about it. Yeah, it was yeah, it was a year or two ago.
1: Yeah, I, he's still alive.
3: So but the, he, he's also his, dead. <laughs> oh, I hadn't heard that part.
1: <laughs> oh no, he's definitely alive. He's just he just said that he was dead to everybody, and then his sister winds up selling his stuff. Um, but yeah, this is uh, a, a great thing because. He says that he got it from, uh, this belonged to my brother collection. So he's saying that it's his brother because he's technically dead. But uh, <laughs> yeah, so so first so of what all... Was
3: what, was what was the whole reason for pretending to be dead? Was there some angle on that?
1: Yeah, I think it was just to escape escape scrutiny, right? Because he... I've had a hard time actually figuring out exactly what he did. I don't know if if either of you know uh if any of you know particularly. I know that he created the PPL bootlegs, right? Is that is that right, Duncan? Is that is that to your memory?
0: Yes, that's uh that's one of the many uh things. He was also famous for uh selling, you know, a lot of fake uh things that have been carded that really weren't carded and uh, not sending stuff out to people, and uh, interestingly, he's like the third person I've known who has died and not died, and had a <laughs> wife or a, a you know some <laughs> other person come back to to help clear out their stuff, but they just you know they take a lot of money from collectors and then they just disappear.
1: We talked about one who died and did not die, and then he sent me an email, and I had to apologize. Well, his wife sent me an email. But I'm not going to give you that again because I actually felt bad, even though I had no reason to feel bad. So Argentina may have provided a pope, but it also provided one of the greatest uh, scandals uh, in Star Wars collecting. You see that, Steve? See how I brought it to to current issues.
2: Nice, nice job.
1: So what was crazy was, you know, everyone doubted whether this was real, and then Bill McBride, uh, the Vader collector, confirmed that he had sold one of these to Pablo. So it's probably real. And then I guess the question is, CJ. Is it moral to buy from a known scammer? What's what's your position?
3: I, um, well, my first position would be, you know, caveat emptor, buyer beware, and, like, you're really asking for trouble to do that. Right. But in the end, you know what? If you think you're going to get it and you think the price was good and I don't have any problems with that, I mean, quite frankly, if it is real, better in a uh, uh, true collector's hands than in a scam artist's hand. so... Better to get it out of there and get it back into the you know trusted community. So,
1: all right, and D- Duncan, do you do you agree with that? That it's it's perfectly fine to fund Pablo's uh, or Pablo's brother's or wife or whoever's uh, life by buying this figure.
0: Well, the the problem is um, beyond that is that just because they own a legitimate piece doesn't mean that that's the piece that you're going to get when you <laughs> buy that. Quote unquote," same piece from yeah, them true so so that's always the the potential problem is that it's known that they've got it and then two or three other people end up with uh that same thing from this dealer
1: right that's true so it, it is still very risky nonetheless But i mean if it was a piece you would want you just you just would stay away from it then duncan
0: it would really depend um you know i mean i think the buyer beware is the definite uh, main piece to this um there's always going to be somebody out there that will be willing to pay on the chance that this really may be the prototype that they, that it says it is and if you've got this you know 800 dollar deal out of it then you know you think wow i'm ahead of the game so there's going to people going to be people that will be willing to pay for that um i would say you know it would I would not be comfortable buying something uh, that's that rare or significant from a known scammer. Uh, You know, if they had something that was, you know, a a not rare poster or, you know, socks or something like that that I needed for my collection that's not really funding them, I would go for it. Right. Yeah, but you got to watch out for those fake socks. I mean, (laughs) that's a big market. It's true. It's the bane of my existence.
1: (laughs) Counterfeit socks. Someone should actually just go to the effort of doing that just to see if they could sell it to Duncan. <laughs> <Just be> like,
3: <laughs> the uh, sad part is they probably could. Yeah, they probably could. Now uh, I, I have had instances where I bought things not where I was worried that it was, something was fake, but I wasn't 100% sure of that what I was getting was what I thought it was. And the one instance I can remember is um, a carded double-telescoping Ben Kenobi that I got from this guy who claimed that his father worked for – he was an executive at General Mills, and um, that the General Mills executives got a box set of the 12-backs in a special box. And he said this box had like a stamped Star Wars logo on it. And this story always fascinates me because I've never obviously seen this thing and don't even know if it's real or exists, but – um, so he said he, they got it in this box, had a special box with a logo, and it was, you know, some kind of nice box that they were all the Carter figures were in. And he had he had four of them still, and maybe maybe it was only the four that was in the box, or maybe it was the first twelve. I can't recall. But um, <clears throat> so he had four of them, and I started thinking about this. Man, those those must have been early. So um, I want to kind of quiz this guy. You know, can you look at this thing? Can you tell me what the saber looks like? And he sent me some really poor pictures. This was probably 98 or 99. So early days of internet and digital photography Right. at, the, at best, you know, and um, so I was like, well, <clears throat> why don't I, uh, I'll go ahead and, and buy the Ben and the Vader off of you. And I was like, well, I'm just crossing my fingers. And, you know, it was, I probably would have, I'm sorry, it wasn't a Ben and a Vader. It was a, a Luke and a Ben. So um, I was like, well, I'll go ahead and buy them, and I probably paid quite a bit more than what the carded figures would have been worth at the time. So I was a little bit out on a limb. I'm not sure if these are, but I'm going to take a risk here. And and when I got them, um, the Ben was not, but sure enough, the Luke was a double telescoping on card. Huh. So hmm. I made out okay on that deal, but it was one of those risky things where you put it out there, and I uh, you know I wasn't sure what I was getting or not. So.
1: Well, I, I've never heard about that. Like a. So it was a set for executives, he claimed?
3: That's what he said. He said, yeah, his dad, General Mills, and all the executives got a set in a box that had some kind of Kenner Star Wars logo on the box. And I kept back – you have the box. I was like, I so wanted to see what the box was. Yeah, no yeah. No, he's like, I don't, I don't think we have it. I was like, go look for the box. I was like, I'll give you a lot for the box. <laughs> <laughs>
0: so that's
3: one of those history stories is like – you know, I don't have any reason to doubt this guy. He was just some guy that emailed me out of the blue, and you know, clearly a carded DT Luke would have been very, very early in the production line. Right. So, uh, it's likely that story is true. Wow, now Duncan,
1: have you, ever, have you ever heard of this box, Duncan?
0: I have not. I'm not familiar with it at all.
1: Wow, hey Steve, we're we're, we're breaking more news here, right? Hey,
0: that's good. <laughs>
1: Uh well I mean last you know last episode we broke new or two episodes we broke news about the uh, early bird kit so now we're moving up to the first twelve <laughs> <laughs> yeah oh that's awesome that's that'd be so cool to imagine I mean now when they do the the corporate gifts you know they're all made in China and they're super fancy and but uh, wow I, I wonder if any of those would ever would ever surface and what they would be worth if they came up I mean even just the yeah. empty box right.
3: Yeah, I mean, you know, if it was indeed printed with some kind of, of logo or something, that would be a pretty pretty special thing, I think. Yeah. Uh, I would guess that probably none of them exist anymore, but who knows?
1: Who knows? Well, I guess if you live out near, uh, what, Maple Plains, Minnesota? Is that right? Is, is that is that – Steve, Is that, that's their headquarters, right? Or, or Young America? Or is that – I'm getting all mixed up. I sent you guys a link, and I've been in, in contact uh, – with, uh, I've been in contact with Dallas, who has he started this site, and he's out of Canada, and it's just called Vintage Kenner Star Wars Toys. I, I don't know what, what what do you think of this, Duncan, uh, of the way he has it laid out here.
0: Yeah, it looks really nice. Um, it's the first time I had seen it. I had not uh, seen it until you sent me the link. But uh, looking through it, it's just uh, really enjoyable. You know, it's it's very easy to see and read and and things like that. Um, to your larger question, I I think that there's kind of an establishment within the community, I guess, of where the the sites are and, you know, where you go for this kind of information or that kind of pictures or this and that. And so these other ones that kind of spring up, it takes a little while for them to get kind of into the uh, consciousness of the collectors, I guess.
1: Yeah. Yeah. That, that seems to make sense. And yeah, I mean, I think what I like about this is I just get the sense that most of what he does is just kind of play with his toys and take pictures. Uh, which is pretty admirable because uh he has a whole thing here on Slave one, and like he has the whole interaction between uh between Lobot and the guards and that and everything
3: you know i I do like some of the some of the newer sites there's some interesting new things i've always kind of enjoyed the uh the uh sort of cartoon with action figures you know comic strip with right. the action figures kind of thing, which yeah. really started with back with the i don 't know if you guys recall the POF2, T-O-O website. Oh, yeah. I forget who did that, but that was like the first time I'd seen that, and that website was just hilarious. So it was right around the time when the the new figures were coming out, and so...
1: Yeah. And then there was
3: another another one I remember later on that was, and I don't know if this one's still around, probably not, but where the guy, he started a website that was pretending like it was 1997 and moving through time, so... That you know he would he was trying to post the news of Star Wars toys as if it were 30 years ago. So we have December 1978 posts, and <laughs> <laughs> the new figures came out today. I went to the store and I found you know whatever Boba Fett on the shelves, and it's so cool. And here's a picture of him. And so I thought that was an interesting take on things, but I don't know how long that lasts. I don't think it lasted very long.
1: Wow. Well, if if anyone knows the vintage pod, uh, at gmail dot com. Let us know. We we have a lot of a lot of know it alls out there, and that's that sounds really <clears throat> funny and really cool. Because I have to, you know, you always think about that with the internet. You know, my example is always, uh, you know, uh, Batman eighty nine. The Joker killed Bruce Wayne's parents. Fail. Fail. You know, like <laughs> there's no way that would have that would have cut it. You know, back uh, if it was made now. But yeah, I I just I also think that for the hobby in general, these kinds of sites. I don't know, they they have a similar kind of vibe as, you know, whenever I read old archive posts, you know, back in the the marble days, you know, when it was all the marble background and stuff. And like there's a certain kind of I don't know, vitality and sort of youth and collecting. And uh as I get older and older and I get more and more curmudgeonly, um, it's cool because I, I sort of see that sort of spark of early collecting and it's great that for our hobby, you know, these sites can pop up and, you know, be like the young bucks going out there and getting all super excited, and we can kind of sit back and not update. <laughs> <laughs> that's
2: true. I mean, Web 2.0. That's that's what it's all about. And um, I mean, it's great. Dallas even he gives us a nice plug on there too, saying that you know we're the show was a big deal for him once he started collecting again. So it just shows that it's still alive and kicking, which which is great.
1: Well, yeah, yeah. I, I don't I don't know if you know that Duncan, but my my original pitch to to Gus, I said you know. I used that terminology. I said the archive needs a Web 2.0 presence. <laughs> I felt a little silly saying that, but
0: uh, <laughs> it's good marketing speak, though. So that's good. Yeah. You know, one of the one of the things that I uh, really like about this, and it kind of hits on what you were saying, is that it's you know how often do you see somebody taking that many pictures of like a slave one the box and all the different angles of the ship and and things like this. You know, it's we get kind of a little. Uh, jaded might be the right word there just that we've moved to you know oh now we're looking at chromolins and now we're looking at uh, you know hard copies or this unproduced item and things like this so we kind of forget about some of just the basic fun of the original toys
1: yeah that's right there you know it would have probably help steve is if we actually said the url
2: <laughs> yeah i was actually just about to say that it's right, well, wh- been... why don't
1: you why don't you say it steve there with your the right. dulcet tones
2: VintageKennerStarWars.blogspot.ca for good old Canada.
1: Yeah, so we're, we are uh, very, very appreciative of, of these kinds of sites. And if you have sites like this, you know, send us an email because uh, as many of these as there are, the better. You know, I mean, like when Brad came out with his, uh, Brad Portnoy came out with his Chewbacca site, uh, even though he's supposed to be my competition in the Chewbacca site having world, uh, you know, it's all just great. And uh, so yeah, that that kind of actually segues into the next sort of phenomena. And CJ, I know you used to be really involved with the Ohio Star Wars
3: Collectors Club. Is that right? Uh, yeah, I actually started that group, so I guess I'd call that pretty involved.
1: <laughs> uh, you know, I, it was funny. I was I wasn't trying to do that cool thing where you understate things because you actually know the truth. I didn't actually know. The Your tree, is stupidity. But I thought I thought it was. Well, who did I think it was? I knew you were there in the beginning. I didn't know you actually. So you actually started Oswalk.
3: Yeah, yeah. It was me and a friend of mine uh, by the name of Scott Cole, who's was only in the Star Wars collecting for a year or two. And um, we actually, he got he was the friend of mine that got me into it originally because um, I had you know just gotten out of college, or and actually I think it's my last year of college, maybe. And, and he's like, oh, I collect these Star Wars toys. I'm like, well, that's kind of cool. I love those movies, and I have all those toys at home, and that kind of got sparked it. And then I uh, found out about Gus's Seattle Club, which was already in existence back then. This was probably 95, I think. And um, I was like, Scott, let's, let's try and start a club. So we're like, okay, let's just do it. So we literally just printed up some flyers. This was really like probably pre-internet almost. Um, nobody was really online at that point. We printed up a bunch of flyers. We went to a local comic slash toy show, put them on the – Flyer people, there. We went to three or four comic shops around town, asked them to put them, put them on their bulletin boards, and put flyers out at their checkout area. And we were like, we have no clue what's going to happen this first day. <laughs> and um, uh, reserved the clubhouse at the apartment complex I was living in. And it's like, okay, well, we'll bring the Star Wars movie in, and if nobody shows up, we'll just watch the film. It'll be fun. <laughs> and like 20 people showed up. We just wow. we were floored. Yeah. Couldn't believe it. So the very first time. And then, uh, you know, from there it was, it was, uh, we started to expand out and had, had a couple of people start to found out about it, come driving up from Columbus. One of them was John Wooten, uh, number, another uh, girl that he might remember by the name of Mary Rathke. And they would drive up from Columbus for a meeting. I'm like, why don't you guys start your own meetings? So it kind of then expanded into, you know, large group and obviously Cincinnati is the obvious place to also have a have meetings so it, after like two years I think it was pretty much a statewide club and they actually uh they actually count their uh their birthday two years after I do because I count it when I started it and they count it when the official website for the state launched so
1: <laughs> well I think we'll we'll, we'll go with yours uh, CJ that, that's awesome yeah I didn't I I had I had no idea but uh I, I think it's cool because, much like that similar kind of sort of energy that comes about when you see these blogs and stuff, like it seems like every month, Steve, right? There's a new collector club that that starts, right? Yeah, yeah. And and I, I I've been in contact with uh, he goes by Big Mac on the forums, and uh, you know my my family, my family lives in West Virginia, and so you know they're starting a West Virginia collecting club, um, which I just think is great because sort of the the you know, we had the – well, Steve still has the California Collecting Club, but that's kind of gilding the lily. You know, there's lots of good stuff to do in California. Um, <laughs> I mean, there's lots of good stuff to do in West Virginia, but it's not California. So anyways, he wanted us to, uh, to promote that. So any off chance you listen to this show uh, and you are an Appalachian uh, gentleman or gentlewoman, uh, they're going to be meeting at the Tri-City Con in Huntington on April 6th.
2: Um, nice,
1: and that's uh, and that's that's pretty pretty fun, you know. We've been trying to start the Empire State Star Wars Club, Steve. Right, I mean, how's how's that going? It's going well. We we need uh, somebody to do something. <laughs> that's our our main problem. <laughs> we we need sort of a go getter like like CJ or like you with starting the blog for the California Club. So uh, we're we're going to actually be meeting in uh, in May. So that'll be more of a meeting. They'll be meeting here and seeing the museum, going to the Toy Hall of Fame.
3: Oh, cool. I look at what I did with that thing, and it is so minor compared to what the people that came after me did with it. It makes me so proud to see what those guys have done. And they they have, like, they run charity auctions and do all this great stuff, and they keep the whole thing alive. And I think it's still probably one of the biggest membership clubs in the country. And, you know, I haven't been involved as the founder for almost a decade now. Right. and it's going stronger than and doing more than I ever imagined for it so you know just kudos to all those guys that work hard to run that club it's just it's fantastic to to um know that they carried that something i started forward and really just made made it much better than i probably
1: ever could have you hear that steve so so he started <laughs> it just like i started the california club yeah yeah he left so i passed the torch on to you yeah so we're waiting for the charity auctions we're waiting for the hundreds <laughs> of members we're waiting for all that stuff now, now how yeah. about how about you don can you ever go for the uh the collector club stuff
0: well even though uh kansas city is in the midwest it's really a desert around here there's uh, no real collector clubs out here. There's, um, you know, a few collectors, but nothing that's ever really been organized. Uh, so, you know, maybe someday somebody will put something together around here. But there's a couple of forums, but not anything that's like really get together kind of thing.
1: Well, there you go. So if you're out there and you're in the Midwest, you know, anywhere near uh, Missouri, is that how you pronounce it, or uh, or Kansas, you know, you could start a. Start a club and you know watch tapes of the 1985 World Series, right? I just I think it's really cool just to see all these these clubs show up because you talk about the desert. I mean you know they're starting clubs out in Wyoming and stuff like that. And of course clubs can mean just three people going to Denny's, um, but it's still just, that's you know, often
2: what the California club is.
1: <laughs> exactly, but it's still just the idea of, of getting together and, and talking toys. Uh, but speaking of getting together, but nowhere near. Um, Steve, you're, you you uh, you have some news from across the pond. We'll get into more of the sort of news section away from the discussion section. Yeah. So
2: uh, there's another farthest from uh, Star Wars show in the UK coming up, uh, March 24th. That's just in a couple of days uh, at the Bridge Town Hall, which. Uh, Sounds like a good time, but uh, I know, Duncan, you went to the, I think, the last Farthest From,
0: um, and it seems like you and Gus had a pretty good time there. What what was that like? Oh, it was great. It's It's a smaller show. Uh, David Tree is the guy that puts it on. He's the one that did the uh, Palatoy exhibition for those of right. you that were at uh, Celebration Europe, and uh, it's a really a, a fun um, vintage show. There's just a ton of vintage there. I mean, there's more vintage per uh, capita than probably you know any show that I've been to. There's just so many good Palatoy things that I saw there, and. Made a few purchases myself, but uh, it was it was a really good time. And then it's pretty exciting. I
1: don't know if you guys uh, are into the General Giant stuff. So I I, I, lo- I love these things. I don't know how you feel about them, uh, CJ. But you hear they're going to be coming out with a Han Hoth.
3: Yeah, I'll probably have to pick that one up. There's not too much uh, modern stuff I get even for that that collectible run, but that one I think is, is those figures are pretty nifty, and they harken so much back to the vintage that I'll probably have to pick one up.
1: Yeah, I I gotta say I got one. Um, it's actually it's pretty, pretty funny. Uh, I got it as a really good deal because I was being filmed for the the Toy Hunter show, and <laughs> and so I I think Jordan was trying to sort of like, I mean you know he'll cut a deal from time to time, but he was I think he was trying to seem like super like hey man let me cut you know, let me cut another ten dollars off that for you. So I wound up getting it cheaper. Um, I think potentially partially because I was on camera. Um, but yeah, I think it's it's really exciting, and one of my favorite things is the 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 way they at least have nods to vintage stuff. You know, um, the blue snaggletooth is okay, but the fact that they recognize the Gamorrean guard for POTF, I mean, that's really specific. So, so yeah. my question is, uh, do you think they're going to go with a molded leg and a painted leg Han Hoth? What what do you think, C.J.? <laughs> oh,
3: I have no clue. <laughs> I don't know that it really matters that much.
1: <laughs> yeah, and, and that's that's the... We're going to have a couple more... Good segue,
3: digits. though. <laughs> we let them folks change our vocabulary. Change
1: our vocabulary. It's vintage. This month's word is molded leg, han hoff. That's molded leg. Yes, <laughs> yes. Thank you, because that's going to be a kind of debate. Okay, so I don't, I don't fully understand. Uh, there's a lot of things I don't understand, Steve. Um, <laughs> but one of the things I under, I, I don't understand—is what exactly is a molded han hoff legs. Does, does anybody know exactly what it is?
3: Yeah, I can I can help there. Okay. Because uh, I don't know if you knew this either, but um, I uh, used to work in the toy industry for about 10 or 15 years way back in my early career. Okay. So, which is probably one of the reasons these kind of uh, variation things really mean nothing to me because I have a good understanding <laughs> of the production process and how all that works. Okay. And I know why these things are that way and how meaningless it is that they are that way, so – Um, Having this sort of that personal insight into the the process because I was in the industry probably jades me a little bit to that. But so as I understand it, the difference basically is, you know, you have a figure and there's obviously different colors on the figure. But when you're actually making the parts, the individual pieces, say a leg or an arm or a torso, when you mold that part, you can only mold it in one color. You can't actually mold a leg in two different colors, at least not easily and cheaply and for mass production so the difference would be the the leg is two colors and you know there say there's a blue and a brown on the leg so you could either mold the leg in brown and put the paint paint on that's blue or you can mold the leg in blue and put paint on that's brown so you could go either way with this depending on you know what might be the cheapest paint color that week or or what dye this fender matches better so there's a number of reasons you could go either way but in the end the figure looks very similar but if you do, you know, look at them real close side by side, you would be able to tell the difference.
1: Okay, so so that's what it is then. The molded legs were tan, were molded tanly. <laughs> that's not a word. <laughs> so so then, so you've had what, hundreds of Han Hoths in your life, right? So you could... I
3: wouldn't say hundreds. I don't, I never really had that many loose figures. I've got, um, you know, I've had a... Maybe only a dozen, probably, loose figures ever really go through my hands. So, okay. I mean, once you once you have one loose figure, I mean, why do I need 100, right? So I'm not making a han hoth diorama army, although that's a good idea. Well,
1: I mean, you're talking to someone who has, you know, 400 loose Chewbacca's, you know, six feet from me. But, uh, well, I, I give them to every kid who comes to the house and doesn't touch the museum. So I'm down well, to probably nice. about 350. Yeah, you would not believe how many Star Wars fans... Uh, or how many vintage Star Wars fans I've made because they love it. You know, they're like, "Wait, you're gonna give me a toy?" And then they go home with it, and they uh, yeah. That's pretty cool. Yeah, it's neat. Although there's now Brad Portnoy is building up his own Chewbacca army, and he's trying to he's trying to outdo me. So my generosity will be my downfall. So, <laughs> so have you have you noticed any like are the Ten Hoths usually on certain carded figures and molded?
3: Yeah. I've never even – I never even noticed that until people started getting into the variations, you know, whatever it was, 10 years ago or so. And I – quite honestly, because, you know, because I'm a bit jaded to it because I understand why it happens, it I just never meant anything to me. So I never really looked, quite frankly. <laughs> so. All
1: right. Well, well, well. maybe uh, maybe someone can email us then, thevintagepod uh, at gmail.com because, you know, maybe – they only did the molded thing in, I don't know, Taiwan or something or only on Jedi figures or uh, uh, only – yeah?
3: I would say that it's probably likely, although you can never know for sure, that um a, the certain a certain combination would probably have come from one factory and the other combination would probably have come from another factory. Now, it's also possible that, you know, one factory – you know, was running them one way, and all of a sudden, ah, oh, we can't get brown dye for the plastic anymore, so we got to switch the blue dye and start painting the brown. And it could have switched midway, but it's probably more likely that it was a factory difference. And so you, you you're probably likely to see, you know, ones from Taiwan with this one, and ones from China with that one, or whatever. But you know, I I wouldn't know for sure without trying to survey a whole bunch of carded figures. But that would be my guess. Right.
1: And you're not gonna do that stupid variations. <laughs>
3: <laughs> I would uh, I would be better suited to actually update my website once, uh,
0: before doing that.
1: Uh, awesome. Well, p- part of the reason too, it's fun to have you guys on is I think starting at C five, I was asked to be uh, an MC at the collector panels, and I always look up to to Duncan and CJ as this sort of the slickest and the most professional of the uh, of the MCs at the Collector Panels. Um, and uh, so let's talk about Collector Panels, Steve.
2: Yeah, let's well, do it.
1: Been pretty big news about what will be given out at Celebration Europe 2. Uh, so they're going to be skipping over Empire, skipping over Return of the Jedi, skipping over Power of the Force, and going to what, Steve?
0: Trilogo.
1: Yeah, going to Trilogo. Yeah. Now, uh, Duncan, I know that that you uh, are often pretty involved in this. Were you involved in in this in any way? Uh,
0: yes, uh, similar to the Star Wars ones, I you know had a little bit of input, but uh, it was mostly just listening to them talk about what it was that they were, which way they wanted to go, and you know, should we go with Empire? Should we go with Power of the Force? TriLogo to me always seemed like the most logical one. And then I like the fact that they were able to pick the uh the last seventeen uh as the ones that would would fit for that
1: yeah again it's it's so cool because it's i mean the opposite of the first ones where yeah there's you know okay, maybe the death star droid is is not necessarily a, a an easy hit, but you know you got like you know a fair number of characters here that are super obscure that I was thinking, oh, they're never going to make. This into a star tat, um, but it's like they did the most obvious and then the least obvious. Um, but uh, so, Steve, you, that must mean you're going to be getting your your B-wing pilot star tat, right?
2: <laughs> Maybe someday. Uh, he's not. He's not in the last seventeen. I think that's. Oh. That's,
0: <laughs> <laughs> that's uh, his uh, uncle, the A-wing pilot. Yeah, yeah.
1: <laughs> I've never asked you that, Steve. Why have you not ventured into A-wing pilots? <laughs>
2: Cause I never had one as a kid. I, I guess that that's just where it stands. I'm I'm sure if it was the A-wing pilot that I happened to think was Luke, I would have chosen that. But <laughs> I just don't think it would have gone that way because he's wearing
1: green. He's not wearing. Right. Red. I mean, at
2: least red is close to orange.
1: Right. Yeah. Well, I mean, these things are great, and I'm still hemming and hawing about whether or not I'm, I'm going to, to Celebration in Europe. I, I uh, imagine you're, you're going, Duncan. CJ, are you heading over there?
3: Uh, I'm not sure yet. I, I hope to, but um, well, you know, we just moved into a new house, and we're doing a complete renovation on the whole floor, so uh, <laughs> it's a little bit crazy and hectic here, yeah. so I'm going to try, but I'm not sure yet.
1: See, I I would have to tack it on to a trip, because I have to go to the the National Library in, in Paris i have to do some research so i have to figure out what ratio of doing research in the library to going to a star wars convention is the proper ratio
2: <laughs> you can get in big trouble there
1: <laughs> i can't i'm being all above board i'm not trying to pull one over on anybody but uh we're gonna see but definitely seeing those makes me although steve uh there's one thing i don't like about the the, the tri-logo tots do you know what that is what's that there's no french
0: <laughs> oh, you're right.
1: Duncan, you you were a fly on the wall. What's what's the deal there?
0: Well, it had to do with uh the the way that they looked um and Guerre des étoiles they just didn't uh didn't want to go with that one. So, they just wanted to keep it basically two words and something that was uh well, I mean, obviously the uh, the German one wasn't uh, so I guess that kind of throws that out, but uh they were uh picking which ones are the potential look the best kind of thing. And so most exotic, I guess. Uh, And so Italian and uh, German is what ended up with. And it's kind of funny too, because the the Spanish contingent also had the the same thing was that, you know, you remember that these were French and Spanish and not uh, (laughs) German and Italian.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, I mean, I don't mind the Spanish not being on there. But the French, I mean, come on, no, it's. Uh, I, I say that in jest. I, I, I see the, I see the point. Also, I mean, you're getting so exotic with, you know, having characters like A Man and a Man up there. Um, but yeah, no, those are, those are great. I can. The thing I noticed about the original Star Tots is the sort of more creaturely they were, the cuter they were. I, I don't know. At least that's the kind of feeling I had. So I think these are going to be really deadly cute. And then Steve, uh, you want to talk about the the documentary that uh, sort of surfaced recently?
2: Yeah, there was that. I see you get some French here. The Michel Parbo is that any of uh, my I best that's my best French accent. I think it, that's it's all downhill from there. <laughs> but uh, there was a, a great uh, documentary that he, I guess, directed and, and produced um, that was about the making of Empire, and it got some good conversation going and on the vintage forums. Um, but uh, I, I watched it finally, and there was just some things that, that cracked me up about it. Um, First of all, Kirshner just seems so dead set on it being this fairy tale thing and talking about how it's only got a, a touch of salt and pepper of, of sci-fi jargon. And then right after that, they start talking about all this crazy starship stuff, which <laughs> just kind of kind of <laughs> refutes what he was saying. But, uh, I mean, and, and there's also great things from Mark Hamill. Uh, he has a whole bit about how he's really concerned that his stunts will turn out to be fakey. <laughs> and... Uh, and then I think probably the thing that cracked me up the most was I just didn't realize that that Gary Kurtz was really the Rick Oli of of vintage. Wow.
1: He, now you see you're talking yeah. to three people who know and appreciate Rick Oli, so be careful yeah. what you say here. I know,
2: I know, people. I know. But uh I mean, I guess he's always got the running joke of being the uh the Mr. Obvious um but uh, <laughs> describing the sets and stuff, um Gary Kurtz just this states states clearly this is the main ice Sanger where the Rebel forces store their aircraft and their spacecraft to hide from the Imperial forces. And he just sits there <laughs> staring at the camera while all the stuff is going on. But, or you know, he just talks about the weather of the location, picking one that had to be desolate and icy. And he's sitting there just saying that with a blizzard going on behind him. It just uh, cracked me up.
1: Now, now but, Dun- um, Duncan, I'm you know, your famous picture on one of your books is you there in uh, in in Norway.
0: And, yeah, that's right.
1: Is that accurate? Was it was it icy Duncan?
0: Yeah. Uh we were there, it was a little more of spring time and it the the glacier was, was still frozen over and the, the lake was still frozen over and it was very cold. Uh so I can't imagine what it would be like, you know, in, in winter. But they had all in the hotel there they had all these pictures of uh, you know, for the past hundred plus years of uh the winters there and just uh, uh, interesting things like the uh, train. It's right next to a train station, so you just get off of the train and you walk 20 feet, and you're at the the hotel there in Finsa. And the the train tracks, they have these locomotives that have just these giant t- drills on the front that you know go through all the snow because the snow gets so high. Out there that these drills just will cut through and and so they had all that kind of thing that we could see there, I would say that uh, Death Valley has some just fantastic you know you're in Star Wars scenes, and it's you know close to a lot of people, so I highly recommend that one. Uh, the one that might surprise a lot of people is Guatemala and the oh. the rebel temple there oh yeah, you, you climb up this um, pyramid and you're, you know, huffing and puffing as you're going up and just basically looking at the the steps in front of you because they're so steep. And then you get up to the top over the canopy of the jungle. You turn around, and it's Star Wars instantly. Oh, man. (laughs) That's awesome.
1: Yeah, you know, it's funny. That really – like, I want to go there. I want to do – like, it's so funny just because you know the entire time exactly what you're going to see, I imagine, you know, and still – I bet it's just as amazing. You know, like when I, when I went to go see uh, Michelangelo's David for the first time, I literally read an entire book just about the statue. And I'm like, oh, I'm just going to go see it and whatever. I've seen millions of pictures of it. And then you actually see it and you're like, oh, my God, that is an amazing statue. Like it's, it's still unbelievable. Uh, I, I don't know, Steve. Did I go too far on that one? No, oh, I think,
2: I think <laughs> that's in
1: line. Yeah. Oh, wow. That's, yeah, that sounds like fun. But uh, did you get a chance to see the documentary, CJ?
3: Five minutes of it, and I keep meaning to finish it up, but I I haven't had a chance to get through the whole thing yet.
1: I don't know. They always seem like, especially in the ESB era, I get a real cokey feeling from those guys. (laughs) Like, I know, like, they've said in interviews and stuff, they were doing a fair amount of drugs, but uh, it kind of ruins the magic a little bit for me. Like, that shot of Harrison Ford smoking a cigarette in the Millennium Falcon. Like, I just. Oh, yeah. I, I don't know. I I like to kind of keep the mystery alive. And then Steve, I don't even know why I put this Revenge of the Jedi video game there. Yeah, what is this? Oh, you know what? It, it, it someone brought it up on the boards. I just thought it was pretty cool that there is a Revenge of the Jedi video game. Do you know about that, huh. Duncan?
0: Yes, there's uh, two of them, I believe. Maybe there's uh, yeah, there's two, and they were available both for the. Um, they're from Parker Brothers. They're unreleased games, and huh. uh, there's the two silver boxes, which were for, like, I think the 2600, and then the gold boxes, which I think were for, like, the Sears equivalent of that, whatever, the ColecoVision. Vision was it? Okay. Um, But the game itself has actually shown up at at one point uh, just as a prototype, and I don't remember what it sold for, but it was – Pretty, pretty big money because, you know, there's a huge collection base of uh, old Atari collectors out there right, that right. will pay just crazy money for, you know, mint in box uh, games and prototypes and, you know, not that we have any relations with that or understand that at all. <laughs> <laughs> yeah,
1: well, I, I, I guess I probably put it on there, Steve, because at some point, you know, maybe we'll put the call out. Is there, do you guys know of any sort of video game collectors in the vintage community? Okay, I'll take I'll take that silence as a no. I I would be interested. Yeah, not it. off
0: the top of my head. I, yeah, I don't I see either. There are some people that are uh, enjoy them or whatever, but I don't know anybody that collects them actively.
1: Yeah. Well, I guess we'll put that out there then. Uh, the vintage pod at gmail dot because I'd like to sort of find out about you know if there's anyone out there who has a really good collection you know from the from the arcades all the way through the the I mean. I think I think we've talked about that, Steve, that the way I got back into Star Wars was really Super Star Wars, that video game. Right, right. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Those, are, those are great games. Yeah. I mean, you could just <laughs> blow the hell out of all those Chawas. <laughs> you kill so many Chawas.
2: The, the firing rate on those guns, man. <laughs> yeah. You could just... Oh,
1: man. <laughs> uh, and then also, you know, I was doing some prep for the show, too. I, I don't know. Just every once in a while, things I never thought of sort of pop up again. And then because we're doing... Uh, Han Hoth. Uh, this is going to be great because I imagine this is going to be another thing CJ is going to think is is not interesting uh, or we're talking about. Um, but
3: you're making me sound like a vintage snob now. Oh,
1: I know. It's, you know, we'll get we'll get back to talking about Maybe a little Star Wars bit. legacy. Maybe I'll
3: admit it a little bit.
1: Yeah, a little bit. But I had never thought about Star Wars figures with a lean. Had you, Steve?
2: I, I mean, I noticed it, but really? uh, and I and I figured that. I mean, I had a feeling that, like, Lou Koth and the, the Black Vestering Guard may have been made by the same guy because they had the same kind of style. But, I mean, I, I hadn't thought about it in this depth, I, I guess I'd say.
1: Yeah, well, I mean, it, uh, on this thread, uh, you know, Chris Georgoulas says that he met the sculptor and that it was intentional and that he was kind of a rebel for doing it. And he was right. trying to make it seem, you know, a little more dynamic. A little
0: more like, natural.
1: Uh, a little more natural. So, Duncan, am I just an idiot for never having noticed this?
0: I remembered them uh, as, as a kid that there were, you know, some that you would have to stand slightly different in order to get them to stand up, but I had never really paid any serious attention to that. So, you know, this was the first time that I had really thought about this um, particularly as an adult.
1: Yeah. I, I just, I think it's awesome, you know, to get the sense, you know, speaking to Michelangelo uh, that these sculptors had a, had their own sort of stamp on it. And then, so CJ, so as far as you know wait is Han Hoth one of the the gangster leaners or not? I think uh, he's used
2: as the is the comparison that he's Oh, wait. He's, he's not. Okay. He's, uh,
3: yeah, I I'm, I'm not sure honestly. <laughs> okay.
1: But I mean I guess that's not that you wouldn't be a snob about that CJ cuz that's an actual artistic choice. Yeah, that's fine. <laughs> yeah. And then and then he, uh, Chris also says that you can see his daughter's name in the Dagobah of a Yeah,
3: um, we uh I was I was with him there when we went to see that sculptor, and um, he he showed us several different things, and one of them was uh, the name in the place playset. I think it's Emily, if I recall right.
1: Right, yeah, that, that's what he said. And
3: um, the other one is an interesting. One is in. Shoot, I'm trying to remember remember what piece it was the now.
1: Tale, the Tale of the Tauntaun. That's what he says.
3: Yeah, there's one there. No, there's one that's like. Uh, it's a section of the toy that that looks kind of like. Um, has like a, a geometric pattern to it. Huh. And the guy's name is in there and it's huh. kind of in a negative space. His name is in the negative space. You don't really l- notice it right away unless you're really looking for it sort of in the negative space. I can't remember what it was, which toy that was though, huh. that it was on. I want to say that nah, I don't think it was the Chewbacca bandolier, but may- maybe it was like the, one of the cases or something. Chris would remember, but, um, yeah so that that guy put his name in was always putting his name in stuff and the uh the funny thing is is that they they uh started some of the higher ups caught wind that they were doing this and uh came down and put the clamps down on that and and said no 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 you will not put your name in any of your sculpts anymore <laughs> and then that's the one where after that he did this one in this other toy where it was like a you know it, it was in the negative space of this you know, geometric shapes. And so it was really hard to see, but he sort of was, you know, bucking the system and going, You won't tell me, I won't put my name in here. <laughs> so. Oh,
1: that's awesome. I, I I love that kind of stuff. Like there's yeah, a, a famous portraitist, Al Hirschfeld, I think is his name, <laughs> and he puts his daughter's name. And uh, there's the John Alvin uh, poster for Blade Runner, right? I, I, boy, did I just out geeky everybody? I didn't. <laughs> Right? Because John Alvin, you know, the great Star Wars artist, too, he, he put his name in the, in the light. But yeah, that stuff is really cool. But you know what, Steve? I think it's now officially time to get to the initial reason we wanted to have these guys on there. We were thinking, <laughs> how fun would it be to have uh, CJ talk about a Hoth piece, you know, a Han Hoth piece, and then uh, as a nugget, and then Duncan, the king, or the king of the space freaks. That, that's what we call you, Duncan. I, I hope you don't mind that name.
0: No, I like it. That's cool. There was another King Duncan. He didn't uh, end up so well, but uh, hopefully this one will be a little bit better.
1: <laughs> well, I mean, your Legion is Space Freak. So anyways, we'll have you with the, with the Unloved item and just to sort of uh, you know, talk to you guys through it, and then it just sort of tumbled into the, the Space Chess uh, roundtable talk, because uh, why not? So I think what I'll do now is I will uh, hit stop on the recorder. Well, not hit stop on the recorder, but uh, we'll, we'll click ahead to the next section. And we'll come back, and we'll get uh, CJ's Nugget from the Archive. Tis a nugget from the Archive. Tis a nugget. Oh, my God, they're gorgeous. From the Archive. Oh,
0: my God, they're gorgeous.
1: All right, so before actually, CJ, before we, we get to the nugget, I haven't actually talked about the card back, and I like to talk about card backs because I I love to look at card backs. Does it bug you, CJ? Does it bug you they didn't pick a photo that was in focus?
3: (laughs) You know, I never even noticed that to tell you the honest truth. Really? (laughs) Really. So now I'm going to have to go look.
1: Oh, no, don't look now because it will drive you crazy.
3: Yeah. Uh, Yeah.
1: Like, I've I've loved, re- I love. I oh, love the figure.
3: You mean you mean for the front of the front of the card is a little out of focus. Yeah. 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 Okay. You said you were saying card backs, and I was thinking you meant the little photo on the back. Oh no, no. So, <laughs> now
2: that would be really upsetting.
3: <laughs> yeah, it's. I don't know. It's. It's okay.
1: I mean, part of me hates it, and part of me loves it because you just, you know, that was the best possible yeah. photo Kenra could get. You know, the most important movie. Up until that point, that had probably ever been released, you know, and like the best they could do is this kind of blurry, you know, shot that doesn't quite make sense. You're not really clear what he's doing.
3: Yeah, it's not. It's not the certainly not the prettiest of all the carded figures, that's for sure.
1: But it's funny because the figure itself is one of the one of the coolest, you know. I mean, he's. I mean, only Harrison Ford could could rock a, an, an ascot so well. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I, mean, I guess it's not an ascot. Anyways, I, I'll. You see, what, you see what I do? I, I, I say I'm going to let you talk, and then I start talking. So you picked out a nugget that is from the archive from your collection. What is it, CJ?
3: So uh, the one I picked out was a uh, coin soft copy of Hanhoth, obviously.
1: Okay. So we've talked a little bit about coins from time to time. What phase of production is the soft copy?
3: So it's, it's um, kind of in the middle of the process. So they start with a sculpt and then they go to a hard copy and then a soft copy and then a tooling master and then a die and then the coin. So
1: then a soft so, copy is, is floppy, right?
3: Yeah, you can, you can bend them. Um, you can bend them literally so that the two edges fold over and touch each other. That's how flexible they are.
1: Wow. And this is, I mean, uh, you see it up there too, Steve, right? Yeah. Yeah, I this is a really nice one too. They're not sometimes I don't know, like uh they get a little bit too busy. But this is just cool. It's just the
3: It's really clean. Yeah, yeah
1: it's really clean and it actually kinda looks almost like hair as opposed to his uh it's like maybe he's been hanging out with Chewy too much, you know? It's got <laughs> Well, you know what it looks like, Duncan? What's that Japanese crazy poster with, with Luke who's got the crazy flying out hair? You know the one I'm talking about?
0: Yeah, the one from uh, Coca Cola from uh, A New Hope. Yeah, yeah, where he's got the big uh, perm and floata Yeah,
1: yeah. See, I I, I knew I could. Uh, I knew I could figure out exactly what I meant. I think if you put these two next to each other, it would be a pretty funny picture of, uh, kind of flowing hair. So so, what is it that you want to tell us about this, Chris? Because you said you had a, had a good story. So we'll kind of merge together uh, vocab, story time, and a nugget. Tico Piccolo Carbon Storytime.
3: Sure. Um, Well, the interesting thing about this piece is um, it was one of the first um, soft copies to ever turn up. So what had happened was I get this um, email from this lady in Columbus. This was probably, I think it was 96. She says, hey, you know, my ex-husband used to work for Kenner. I have some... She didn't really know what even to call them. Um, she knew that they had something to do with coins. She said, "I have these coin things. Would you be interested?" And then I'm like, "Sure. I, you know, what what are they? Can you tell me more about them?" And, and <clears throat> again, this was like practically pre-internet. I mean, I was on email a lot, but this was like, you know, the the RASC RASSCV days, V days, the news group. So um, so actually, what she did to show me what it was is she sent me a fax of one oh, wow. of them. So I get this thing and it's full size. So these things are a little bit bigger than eight, than eight and a half wide. So it was chopped off on both sides. But the first fax she sent me, I mean, I wish I still had this fax. I might somewhere, but, um, was, uh, I believe it was the, um, emperor's Royal guard. So I get this fax and I'm like, okay there's an emperor's royal guard it's clearly the coin it's you know nine inches in diameter, and at the time um some sculpts had been found, and maybe even some tooling masters a couple of them had come out but this was before the big major huge find of all the all the tooling masters and hard copies of the coins so um and she so I call her on the phone I'm like So tell me a little bit more about it. She's, oh yeah, it's it's like rubber. You can bend it. I'm like, and I'm talking to like Gus and Chris and I'm going, you guys have any clue what this thing is? And they're like, I don't know. I've never heard of anything like that. So John Wooten at the time lives in Columbus. So I was like, told this lady, I'm like, let me come down and take a look at this stuff. So John works at, um, I think he still does work at uh, Ohio State University. So we met her at like the Ohio State University Library or something like that, some campus area and got this little conference room that John signed us up for. And so she sh- shows up there and um, pulls out this box and it's like a stack of pancakes. And I sent you a photo of John Wooten holding that and me standing beside her, beside him there.
1: Yeah. That, that's so, a great picture. We're, we're, we're going to put it up uh, on our show notes. This may, I mean, this is a, a picture for the ages because I don't think I've ever seen you without your little uh, soul patch. CJ, yeah. yeah, I don't <laughs> yeah. think I've ever seen you without the, without the soul patch.
3: So, um, you know, we got there and we're like, well, this is pretty fantastically cool, but it's, it's nobody knew what it was. Nobody ever seen it. Nobody really knew at the time what the process was for making of the coins. So these were the very first things. We didn't even know what to call them. So I was like, well, you know, we got these hard copies, and they're hard, and this is <laughs> soft, so let's call them soft copies for lack of a better term. So um, we that phrase was coined, and uh, what actually happened was um, we decided to um, help this lady out by holding a private auction for them. So I contacted a whole bunch of of the you know collectors that were into that kind of thing, and I said we're going to do this sort of silent auction, and here's the list of everything, and send in your bids, and we'll do an auction for a week, and you know I'll send her the money and. Um, and, uh, for doing that, she let me keep the Han Hoth one for, for free, basically for helping her out. That was sort of payment for, for helping her out. And, uh, so she had, I think it was about 20 of those soft copies. Wow. And Uh. some of the really good ones, Fett was in there for sure. Um, I think Greedo, Imperial Dignitary, uh, Luke Hoth, Lando, Lando, um, Bespin, trying to remember Han Hoth, obviously a few other. Not as great ones. But so there were some really good ones. And um, I, I don't even know if I want to say how cheap those things went back in 96. <laughs> Most of them were under $200. I'll put it that way. Oh, wow. And um, so this lady also had uh, the the single um, known example of the coin album with the logo on it, which Cush now has. Wow. So um, she also had a gold 63rd. Like a first shot hammerhead and a first shot wind speeder, a couple other little things. Um, you know. But uh it was a pretty it was a pretty neat find just because, you know to, to to see something, especially like now where we're at in the stage of this hobby, like new stuff hardly ever comes up. It's something completely new nobody's ever seen. But back then it was a little more common, but to have something of sort of that magnitude sort of surface and and everybody's sort of like, Wow, this is this is so awesome. So
1: Wow, that no. is that is an awesome story, and you definitely—I I hate to tell you, CJ—but it is your job to find those faxes, because yes, <laughs> I mean, I—I yes. I, I would honestly, if you had a fax of a Chewbacca, I would pay two hundred dollars for the fax. I, I mean, I that's,
3: don't, <laughs> you know, you I can don't, double your money. I don't think that Chewbacca was in was in that group. I, I don't recall that it was. Well, I'm just but, saying uh,
1: someone would spend $200 for the fax. I
3: think yeah. I think the only – she only sent me one fax, and it was the, the Royal Guard, I'm pretty sure. So it's only that one. And if I have it, I know exactly where it would be, but I haven't looked in this one box for, for a little while. I don't think I still have that fax, but well, you never know. I could go check.
1: All right. We'll, we'll leave that to suspense for next month. But that's <laughs> yeah. so cool. So you – that so. And also, I think uh, – I don't want to get angry emails. You have to call it the Ohio State University, right?
3: Oh, yes. I, I suppose so. <laughs> I mean
1: – I'm not trying to tell you. I know you started the Ohio Star Wars Collector's Club. But, uh, um, anyway, so just the idea that all of these were found in this little library. And it's cool, this picture too. It's so evocative uh, just to see like the – it looks like a college library and you're there and you're smiling mm-hmm. and that that's where this term soft copy was born.
3: Yeah. And that was really the the very first um, you know, discovery that I was involved in. So that was sort of wet my appetite for like going out there and digging this stuff up and and so, you know, when you when that's your first hit and it sort of happened by accident, you're like, Oh my gosh, well like this this would be fun to keep doing this and keep having these kind of, you know, treasure hunting adventures. So that was kind of my, my first my first find and um, you know, sort of started me down the, the path of really getting into the um, the uh, vintage prototypes. And the other thing I'll say is that that find is pretty much why I collect Han Hoth huh. because uh, Han was always my favorite character. So um, at the time, the only thing I had ever, I had gotten, I'd wanted to get a little bit into prototypes and I had purchased a Revenge of the Jedi Han Hoth proof card. mm mm-hmm. And um, that was really the only one I had. And then this find came up, and I'm like, oh, cool. I get a, you know, if I'm going to keep one of these, I really want the Han Solo one. That's the one I wanted. So, and I'm like, hey, now i got a Han Solo soft copy, and i got a Han Solo Revenge Revenge of the Jedi proof card. And I'm like, why don't I just keep going down this path and just look for Han Hoth stuff in the prototype field? And, you know, just that's what I'll be looking for if I have an option of getting a hard copy or another proof card or whatever it might be, I'll go for Han Hoff stuff. So that sort of started that whole collection was that soft copy because it was like the second piece that suddenly made it a run. You know, it was only a two piece run, <laughs> right? but it was suddenly a run. So yeah, and I but recognized that and kept going with it.
1: That, that's not a bad run. And also I think, you know, looking at the, the archive entry, and we'll include a link to it, the way things happened, it's actually pretty significant because if it weren't for the fact that you called them soft copies and if it weren't for the fact that she weren't married and that, that this wasn't her ex-husband, then they would have been called rubbers because at least going to this article, that's what they were called in the industry. They were just called, oh, get the – so there would have been just a whole series of bad jokes and, you know, you got the you got Hans rubber, <laughs> you know and that would have been really annoying so we we owe you a debt of gratitude CJ <laughs> cuz soft copies a lot cooler than than calling them rubbers everyone still there yep we're yeah yes oh cool um boy Steve it's 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 going to be hard to do better than that Steve <laughs> but i think that we can equal that because yes. uh ever since Duncan sent the pictures just a minute before we started recording. I have been dying to talk about, uh, about the, this, this month's unloved item. Uh, so we will uh, hit the drop and then talk to Duncan about Aquafun. You don't hate, only the unloved hate, the unloved and the
3: unnatural.
2: So,
1: Duncan, I asked you last month, you know, uh, do you have any cool vintage items? And to be honest, Duncan, I was afraid that you didn't read my email carefully and that you just were going to talk about some weird modern thing, because I had so never heard of what you were talking about that I just had to kind of BS it and be like, oh, yeah, Aquafun sounds great. So, what in the world is Aquafun?
0: All right, Aquafun is a company that, uh, out of Australia, during the Return of the Jedi era, that did a series of inflatables, plastic inflatables, uh, swim aids, and things like this. Uh their their parent company is uh kind of ironically named Stern's Playland. So it's kind of a juxtaposition <laughs> there, I guess, of Stern uh, but playland, but it's Stern.
1: Right. So so sit there like be on the play structure and the swings, but have your arms folded and frowning.
0: <laughs> exactly. So uh the ones that we have uh, so far, there's um R two D two floaters which are the little inflatable arm things that you put on on your uh, upper arms to help give you the assurance that you're not going to drown. And these have R2-D2 on them, obviously, hence the name. Uh, And then the Ewok Bubble, which has uh, some colored line art of uh, two wickets and uh, pap And that's uh, another piece that you would uh, strap on to a child or something so that they would uh, be able to have some more security while they were uh, swimming. And then the third piece that I have is the speedboat on (laughs) it.
1: (laughs) Speedboat.
0: Exactly. So there was a Star Wars speedboat. All it is is just a little inflatable kind of a raft thing that uh, you could sit in and – go around in it's got uh, luke and the droids and the millennium falcon on it star wars logo but uh there's kind of a, a funny story behind it or at least uh, interesting as it relates to gus and duncan's comprehensive guide to star wars collectibles uh available now at paizo.com or completestpublications.com. uh you'll notice there's only two items listed in there for the aqua fun and that's the r2d2 floaters in the ewok bubble uh originally we had the speedboat in there a canoe um i think there were like a beach ball kind of thing as well and what we really tried to do as we were putting the book together is we would try to get multiple confirmations uh items, that we didn't just go with, okay, one person has seen this, or this was shown in one you know, publication or something like that. We really wanted to make sure that there were multiple sightings of it so that we didn't have something uh, spurious in the, in the book. And we just were on the fence with the speedboat. Uh, we even had, uh, it was in the, the book originally. And we even had in the beginning, you know, each of the chapters has a little bit of uh, the history of that type of collectible, uh, uh, you know, in this case, sporting goods, and what are the key things in the sporting good collecting. And so we made a a little joke about you could recreate the famous speedboat scene from Return of the Jedi. (laughs) And we just got a little bit of cold feet there at the end and decided, you know, we really don't have any proof that this thing exists. So we killed that from the book. We took that uh, little line out of the, the write up. And the day that we went to press, I found this item on eBay and was actually uh. able to confirm that it existed.
1: Oh, yeah. I mean, I, I think it's going to take another hour and a half just to, to just stop talking about these things. Because there, there's so many things about, about these to love. First thing is, Duncan, how often have you seen it? Where, it's, where you see the Star Wars logo completely on its own and the complete Return of the Jedi logo. That's pretty rare, isn't it?
0: Yeah, exactly. I mean, the, the, the makeup of that, the design of it is very unusual in that uh, there's not a lot of stuff that had just Star Wars logo by itself during the Jedi era. And, and then the fact the, that the... they also put the Jedi one there too, yeah.
1: And that's even on the speedboat itself as well. I mean the got logo, the
0: racetrack stripes too. Yeah.
1: Yeah, it's got the double racetrack, which was abandoned, you know, by Empire. And I mean, they're, the the there. I mean, you you have to be watching this enhanced. But you know, there's the the Falcon that's, looking, that's going in front of the Star Wars logo, and it's got a certain dynamism. Uh, and then there's just the whole idea too. First of all, the Ewok bubble. Um, <laughs> it's just kind of a great, yeah, surrealist, you know, <laughs> word soup like Ewok bubble, um, and it's it's like a backpack. Is that right, Duncan?
0: Yes, I think that's correct. It's just kind of an inflatable thing that you could strap, uh, you know, a harness almost that would uh, give you some extra buoyancy, and so you could either strap it over your back or reach around and kind of grab it from the front.
1: And I I also love that it says you can learn to swim with confidence. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> it's like, I don't think I'd be confident if I only could swim with an Ewok bubble. And, no. then, and then, moreover, it's not like they only had wicket, right? So there's two wickets, and one you said, Paplu. So they just took the wicket and then they flipped him and minimized him. So like, they seem to get randomly <laughs> lazy with that. And then that makes you think of carded wickets where they flip them every once in a while. Like, what is it about wicket that makes him flippable? And why is he so fat? Is, is that, isn't that that a fat wicket, Duncan, or is that a pretty common line art image?
0: Uh, that is the common line art, but he definitely looks a lot more portly in this uh, thing, which is not exactly what you want to show for buoyancy.
1: <laughs> no, exactly.
0: And, and the whole idea of R2-D2 <laughs> yeah. in the first one, it's like, uh, yeah, putting a
3: big electronic thing in the water. That sounds like a good idea.
1: Yeah, we saw how it worked out in Dagobah. And, and also you could tell they're really scared of being, like, sued because all over these things, warning, not a life-saving device, use your own yeah. discretion, not a life-saving device. Oh, wow. Yeah, so, that
0: looks like something that would have come out from the United States, you know, recently, that it's, it's not something that you would expect from the 80s back in uh, Australia or something that they would be that uh, lawsuit averse.
1: Right. And so that, this is probably from Australia, you, you think?
0: Yes, it's definitely from Australia. Okay. And I, I don't know if you guys noticed, but there's a funny line on
3: the R2D2 one that says, uh, uh, let me bring it up here. Swim trainer for children and adults.
1: Oh, man.
3: <laughs> yes, I oh, saw that. I thought
0: that was hilarious.
1: Oh, I missed the <laughs> I don't know if there's going to be a uh, an archive uh, party. It's all Rishi and Herb, too. But there definitely will be one at Celebration Seven. We need to have a a a pool party section. So so figure out if you can. Just I I know it's hard to find a speedboat, but if we could possibly have a speedboat race uh, (laughs) in the pool after hours, I mean that's just great. And it's not. And just for those of you who are listening to this without the enhanced images, it's just an inflatable raft. There's there's I know there's no engine. No engine. (laughs) No engine. I don't think there's any way to move. Uh,
0: you need I guess a power. Any speed is considered a speed boat, you know, even though if it's a slow speed.
1: <laughs> that's true. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and the Ewok bubble is not for adults as well. that's just for children. If you're over ten years old, you cannot use the speed the Ewok bu- bubble. No, you,
3: clearly you have to use the R two D two arm blow ups. I mean, <laughs> right. That's obvious, right? <laughs> Oh wow. It wouldn't
0: be it, it wouldn't be embarrassing enough that you're trying to learn how to swim as an adult or whatever but you have to have these R2 floaties to give you confidence.
2: Right. Yeah, yeah it's the the use of the word confidence in all these that, that definitely struck me. <laughs>
1: yeah. Oh wow. Well, I I, I want to say Duncan that anytime you find anything, you just feel like, "Hey, have they talked about this uh, on the show?" You just send us an email because uh, you know, we it, it's always fun for us to try and find these things, and uh, we never would have found this. So,
0: oh, just well, to- I always enjoy I always enjoy seeing what you guys come up with because it's uh, it's fun to see what uh, you guys are going to find intriguing, or um, you know what uh, things that I've taken for granted for a long time, and yeah, you know, it's like oh yeah, probably not everybody is aware of that or something along those lines.
1: Well, I, mean, I tell you, these, these Hungarian calendar, pocket calendars, just, <laughs> Steve, I didn't even tell you, uh, uh, Jason uh, from the New York Club, he sent me a, a link and I managed to get a Chewbacca Hungarian pocket calendar.
2: Oh, wow. So you got the an additional one to the, the Ewok Roadkill and Photobomb.
1: Yeah. Well, actually, of, okay. I think he just wound up with that one.
2: But oh, okay.
1: Um, I mean, these things just pop up. Do you collect those as well, Duncan?
0: I do. It's uh, fairly never-ending.
1: Yeah, that's what it appears to be that you could just go on and on. Hey, actually, I'll, I'll even ask you a question while 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 you're on here. I wound up winning an auction that was it was from Hungary and it was the similar quality of printing, which is to say, lack of quality of printing. But on the other side, it looked just like playing card uh, back. You know, it was just like blue and checkered. Well, what do you think that's about?
0: Oh, that's interesting. So, it, uh, but the photo didn't have anything that would lead you to believe that it was a playing card?
1: No, not at all. It's just like different pictures from mostly Return of the Jedi. And then the other side looks like the back of a, of a playing card deck.
0: It's probably from a bootleg memory game um, or, you know, something along those lines where you would have multiples of the same image and you flip them over and try to remember where you saw the other, you know, Falcon in the Hangar or Luke on the Tauntaun or whatever.
1: All right. Well, hey, if I get enough of them, that'll be uh, another game for the archive party. One dollar flicks. Market Watch. So what's cool Steve is that we have, you know, a Han Hoff collector from 1997, 96, 95, whatever, super old school focus collector and I imagine I
3: I feel really old, guy. <laughs> yeah.
1: I mean, this guy is
3: so old. The ancient collector.
1: <laughs> I mean,
3: uh, he's I, vintage himself.
1: Yeah. I was trying to say that, you know, with respect, but I realized that too so many adjectives are there. Uh, <laughs> what's that from Billy Madison? Uh, he's so old. I, I forget what it was. Uh, but, But, I mean,. If you had to think about what it would be like back in 1998, CJ, if you were trying to put together like a full run of of carded Han Hofts in reasonable condition, uh, how much time and money do you think that would have cost?
3: Well, you know, before the eBay day, it would have taken quite a bit of time because um, I did get started before that, and it was, you know, I remember going to the toy shows and you just wait and go there and see what you find and hope you find what you're looking for. So. But money-wise, it would have been much cheaper than today. So, you know, probably, you know, maybe for Empire and Jedi figures, you know, twenty, twenty-five bucks. So yeah,
1: yeah, that's huh. uh,
3: things that's have changed. changed. Things, mm-hmm. ha-
1: things have changed. So I thought it'd be fun to just kind of look at uh, Brisbane, Brisbane, Mike. Speaking of Australia, um, <clears throat> I have officially forgotten how you pronounce it again. So that's good. So, you know, he always goes and, and finds our figure of the month and just says sort of like a, a test as to if someone said, I want to be the next C.J. Fawcett, you know, because obviously, you know, in your advanced age, you're, you're clearly not. Um, you know, <laughs> I, I, I want to be the next C.J. Fawcett. How could you possibly do it? Um, so, you know, we're not necessarily going to read all of these um, but as far as like the the 31 backs, CJ, do you remember that being a big deal trying to get his debut card or, or is you it know, just
3: you know even back then the card backs which one it was on was really nobody really cared it was more about the front and you know a, a lot of people wanted the card with the without an offer on the front was almost more important than what was on the back so it was all about getting offerless fronts and um you know for most of the figures, that's pretty easy. I think the only one that's really super difficult is I think the four long ESB one is really hard without an offer or maybe the debut back is really hard. I can't recall, but, um, so yeah, you know, looking at the card backs back then, it wasn't, wasn't nearly quite as in depth. I mean, everybody was aware of, you know, 31 back 48 back and everything, but, um, I don't think there was even that much really deep understanding of which card backs were maybe the, the rarer ones. And I don't think any of the Han Hoth ones are really that rare anyway.
0: Right. So um,
3: according to the Kellerman book, anyway, they're all pretty, it's pretty standard. Um. So, yeah, I, you know, I didn't really look for that that much. I was really just trying to get, you know, sort of an empire, a Jedi, a Trilogo. And, and I wasn't even really that into, you know, getting one with every offer or anything like that. So,
1: right. Well, it seems as though that the, the prices, Steve, Looks like, you know, you can, if you're into the graded, you could get a 31 for around 280, uh, ungraded 138. Seems yeah. Like, seems like a pretty pretty steep uh, AFA uh, tax there. But then 32 ungraded, yeah, it seems to be about the same. It, it's, I don't think it's actually changed that much. I, I, don't, know, I don't know how much uh, you guys pay attention to that. But it doesn't seem like it's changed too much. People still mostly just want... Offerless or an offer. Um, although I do really like this one, 32A. Uh, I don't know if you guys see that. They went for $80 because it has a sticker tear and then the X's on the back.
2: Yeah, yeah.
1: And, uh, do, do, you have, do you have a lot like that, Duncan, in your collection?
0: Not a lot in my collection. Um, I have over the years. But, of course, the ones that I had as a kid, I would always, uh, you know, mark off the back or mostly in the little catalogs that came with the play sets.
1: Right yeah I mean to to me that's like it's fine. I don't know enough I've even talked about that, but this card back any of the ones with the little pictures before they went to the the group photos that's just that's probably my number one memory of playing with the toys is looking at the pictures on the back and and seeing the the, the, the crazy co- uh, like the the lights and oh man, yeah, yeah those are great, and then let's see steve what 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 if you uh we' never tried to do this, have we? A roundtable market watch <laughs> is is it is it is it completely failing is this terrible steve help me no, steve. tell we're me it's be good all right. we're gonna be all right all right we're, <laughs> gonna, we're gonna be all right so then uh see 41 uh again it's 100 bucks this is cheaper than i thought it would be to tell you the truth i thought that you know pretty much that han Hoff would be kind of like luke bespin and just sort of in high demand
2: yeah That's true. Um, And you got a 47 that's 300. Um, I mean, that's jumping up a bit, but it's also graded. Um,
3: Uh, But but then... Then we get
1: to something interesting, CJ. Yes. Did did you see that?
3: Uh, Yeah, that's been a grill of mine for a long time. I had a shot at one of them once in my whole collecting endeavors. And this was probably eight eight years ago or so. And um, it, it ended up... It, it, it came from, a, I think it, Jordan had one, and it came from a collection of uh, one of the sales salesmen um, who had this. And it ended up, I don't know, somebody, I don't remember the story. Maybe somebody outbid me with Jordan or he promised it to somebody else first or something. But anyway, the only one I've ever seen, and I missed it. And this one. All
1: right. Well, well CJ, you're, you're, you're. Uh, call dropped out, but it happened for a reason because uh, we didn't actually say what the figure was that we were talking about.
0: Oh, okay. So uh,
1: I think that that was our listeners who are sitting there going, ah, damn it, why won't they say what they're talking about? And that mental energy jumped through space and time and into my computer. And Steve, am I going too far? Anyways, <laughs> we're, uh, <laughs> what we're talking about is an Empire Strikes Back uh, posh. Posh,
3: whatever. Uh, I always called it Poc. POC. I don't know if that's right. I don't know if that's right, but I always called him Poc.
1: point is, it's a Spanish uh, Empire Strikes Back Han uh, Hoth, and uh, it's got the beautiful sideways card. And again, we we talk, We're just talking about the, the portrait photos, but this is a group photo that's unlike any other. True, And yeah. And uh, it, it sold for $4,000. And uh, yeah. is that about what you, you bid eight years ago, CJ? Well,
3: uh, I'm not sure if it went for four because if you notice on the eBay link, it says it was a, like a best offer or something. So well, who knows what that ah. means. Oh. Maybe it went for less, maybe it went for more. But um, So, um, you know, yeah, it, it was probably seven, eight, ten years ago. I There's only one shot I've ever had at this in my whole collecting endeavor of this figure with Han Hoth. And um, I can't remember why exactly I missed out. I, I think it actually was – I found out a little bit too late and it had already been sold. And it was something like, well, I got, you know, this guy who says he might want it and you're second on the list. And then he took it. I think it was something like that, but um, it is certainly a grail kind of peace of mind, but man, I don't think, I don't think I'd ever go for it at that price. It was crazy high to me, especially considering there's a gigantic sticker sort of messing up the most beautiful thing about these figures, which is the, the horizontal back. So, yeah. Yeah. no. You that... know,
1: that's tough because you know the the, the Cheery one came up
3: a while ago. And yeah. I
1: think it went on four grand as well.
3: But I, I've only ever seen this figure twice: this one and the one other one that I missed. Yeah, well, so, it's you know, crazy hard.
1: Yeah, that's yeah, that's that's pretty tough. Now, now, Duncan, do you like when it comes to the crazy foreign variations and stuff? Do you sort of try to get one of each example? Do you just steer stay away from them in general, or do you have like a crazy horde
0: of them and you're not telling me? Um, (laughs) Well, I uh, tried to get for my U.S. set was basically each movie front uh, didn't matter what the the back was. And so each character and very, you know, major variation on all of those and then the tri logos uh, and then foreign cards. I like to get basically the same thing when possible. Uh, But for the Spanish set, I only have one uh, of the Empire. I just have the the Ugnot. Right. But yeah, those
3: are those. So, these are crazy hard to find.
1: Yeah, they they are, and they're they're just beautiful. I love the the L, uh, you know L Imperio Attaca, The way it's just, you know, right in between the the double racetrack. <clears throat> yeah, no, that's that's a really nice piece, and I I feel bad for you, CJ, that 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 came up and you didn't wind up with it.
3: And uh, and at this point in time, I'll probably never wind up with one because I don't know that I'd ever. Ever bite on that kind of a price so yeah yeah you'd
1: uh probably have to trade a lot of faxes <laughs> in order to get that. <laughs> yeah, too, too bad you didn't make that fine now you, you could have done it with a, with a couple of trades um and then there's the the tri logo which this is the first one in a while that didn't have an alternate photo for the tri logo right um, right but uh, that's uh that's pretty cool and then a chromalin, power of the force chromalin came up as well that's yeah uh, that's pretty nice yeah, that's pretty nice. I imagine you, you've had one of those for a while, CJ. Uh,
3: I have a proof card. I don't have this one as a chromalin.
1: Wow, this could have been
3: a really expensive month for you. <laughs> <laughs> I don't. I don't think I. I don't think I necessarily need both the proof card and the chromalin. So I, you know, I would have been okay passing on this one. Oh. Okay. So, but I might have considered if I had seen it, I might have considered upgrading, buying the chromalin and selling off the proof card because uh, my proof card doesn't have a back. Oh, okay. So it's it's a blank back, so you know. I would assume this one. I didn't look at the listing, but does this have a back on it?
1: Uh, no, I um, don't.
3: I don't. I don't think so. But
1: no. Okay. Yeah, no. But even I don't know. Going going for for three thousand
3: seems actually fairly reasonable
1: for un- unproduced Power of the Force proof.
3: That's not Anything? too bad. I mean, I got mine probably over ten years ago, and it wasn't much less than that. So, yeah. considering some of the things how they've skyrocketed in price, that's that. Not too bad, yeah, so there you go for the for
1: the people that listen to the show because we like to emphasize that you can do it cheaply, uh, two thousand dollars for uh, chromalin is cheap, so <laughs> you see it, it is it is possible
3: unproduced power of the force chromalin yeah that's that 's a pretty good price
1: yeah yeah well I, I sort of I jumped over a bunch of them because uh, I think that that 's how it works the best, and what I also did is uh, i don 't know if you guys. Now you guys are are have both been collecting for longer than we, have. old old collectors. Um, <laughs> but oh, uh, uh, well, it's just so funny because you know with Steve I get to always tease him for being too young and now yeah. Um, but uh, you know I often refer to at least myself as a sort of Kellerman era vintage collector. You know um, what I mean by that is that when I sort of got into collecting vintage. Was you know super hardcore. Was right as the Kellerman came out, and I I don't know. It it seems to me like from talking to to Ron uh, that he sort of considers himself almost to be a concept to screen to collectible collector. Uh, You guys have a sort of similar feeling. Like was that book the same kind of importance to you, Uh, Duncan?
0: Well, I was uh, one of the few that actually stuck with Star Wars collecting my whole life. I didn't uh, go away from it there in the late '80s, so I've uh, always kind of considered myself a first-generation collector, uh, which is probably why I'm still a completist. I think if I had gotten out of it and come back into it, you know, I, I wouldn't be. But originally, everybody was completist, and it just they became too much stuff to keep up with. So right. there's only a couple of us now.
1: Huh. And and so uh, yeah, that. Well, how many completists are there?
0: Uh, besides Steve and myself, I think that's you know really pretty much it. I don't know that of uh, too many other people that say they go for everything.
1: Right, and I mean uh, the Onion headline. Does that that does that still bother you? They didn't like ask you for a picture.
0: No, not at all.
1: No. Okay. <laughs> you, you you've seen that one, Steve, right?
0: No, no, I haven't. Oh,
1: I don't know the exact text. This isn't a sore a sore point for you, is it, Duncan?
0: It's not. You can talk about it.
1: Oh okay. Uh it's I think it was like, you know, Star Wars Collector now has one of all. And it's just a picture of a guy in front of a bunch of Star Wars toys. I don't even think mm. there's a story, I think it's just a headline. But I remember thinking okay. it's was, it was pretty funny. Uh and then I immediately thought of uh <laughs> I thought of uh, Duncan and, and Sansweet. But yeah.
0: Well, it's funny, too, because, you know, when you see people and talk about Star Wars, it's funny how many people had it all, quote unquote, until they come over and see the collection, and then they realize that they didn't really even come close to having it all.
1: Right, yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, it's, it's when people walk, you know, and see, see my collection, like, wow, you must have everything that ever was Chewbacca. I'm like, I don't even know if I have 10%. <laughs> you know, it's like. I you know getting the Hungarian pocket card is is a real step forward, but there's at least five other Hungarian pocket cards I don't have. <laughs> so, uh, I think you,
0: they've made twenty since we were uh, started taping. <laughs> yeah, exactly.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Stop making them hungry. Uh, well, I, I guess I bring it up because uh, there was this this auction of so you know at at celebration six. You know, we t- we talked to to Jeff from Jeff's Collectible Empire a couple months ago, but he bought all of the Kellerman figures uh, with the idea of having them authenticated as being from Kellerman, and then having them and then basically selling them and having it be sort of like a thing. I, what was your what was your reaction to that, CJ?
3: You know, I thought it was sort of a novelty kind of a thing, but um. I really didn't view it as something that should really make the value much different. I mean, there were some good figures in there just of their own right. Right. Um, But, you know, I, I, you know, I guess in some ways it's, it's interesting to say here I got the one that's in the book. I mean, um, but you know, I wouldn't think it would really garner that much of a premium. And if I think if people thought that it would be a premium, it's probably wouldn't last because you know, that that was just a collecting book that came out and 15 years from now, you know, is it really going to be that important that this was the figure that came from that book? I don't know. But then there was also the – wasn't there the the Sansweet collection that did the same thing where he auctioned off all the figures from from the book recently? Uh, and that was only one group, I, right? I don't know. I missed that. so That's a similar kind of thing.
0: Yes, yes, that's exactly what happened was um, – they were a, a large portion of them were were donated to, to the Rancho Obi-Wan and they used those in the photography for the book and then um, oh, the most I, I think book. that's correct anyway there was an auction where they had you know several thousand figures and i believe those were some from the that they used in photography but it was definitely uh, donated to Rancho Obi-Wan to raise money and so they auctioned them right. off I right see.
1: okay yeah well i mean i i i guess we you know when i was talking to Jeff and to me it really resonates as an idea and i mean you know i i bought one of the figures primarily because you know the book did mean so much to me and there is a kind of it's like a weird double nostalgia because it's like you know you're nostalgic about the toys but then i'm also nostalgic about the time when i would read kellerman you know i would switch between the archive and kellerman and just sit there and just spend all day trying to learn about these toys um so there is something about that to me that that has like a a kind of resonance. But I'm interested to see, and we'll kind of think about it. Did it have an impact on on the price? And I'm not I'm not sure it did. You know, um, a, a Lando skiff went for two hundred and twenty six dollars, which is insanely high. But then it's yeah. an AFA eighty five. So, um, or and a Poplu AFA eighty five for two hundred and twenty. So I guess that's the, the question we could put out there, uh, Steve. Uh, could you go I mean, back in time and ask Pete the question if most Return of the Jedi's that are eighty five go for two hundred twenty five dollars? I wish I could. <laughs> okay. <laughs> well, tune in next month. We'll see if we get the facts uh, from, from C.J. and uh, uh, and that. Uh, but then there's some other items like you know the there's a Clipper Biker Scout that that went for two hundred. And that's just crazy that that would go for less than a, than a Papaloo. Yeah,
3: that's, that's pretty crazy.
1: crazy. Um, and then some just, just went for abs- – well, I, I like that he mentioned that the Vespin security guard, white, and then he put in parentheses, Asian. <laughs> uh, yes. The whole point is it's not – no longer can we call him white. He must be called Asian from here on out. <sighs>
0: it shows the impact that your uh, show is having.
1: Yeah. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> well, if we could just convince people, you know? It's just it's right there. It's it's, you know, we had to, you know, celebrate Lucas's absolute bare minimum of diversity efforts and uh, you know, having one of the guys kind of maybe Asian if you if you uh, if you didn't really pay attention. Um and then there's, you know, uh uh 20 back Death Star droid that went for a, a thousand. Uh, oh. which I couldn't quite figure out why that one went for a thousand. I guess because it's a 20 back, yeah. I guess, I guess that's it. So it seems as though most of these are going
3: that. That just seems crazy to me, crazy high. But yeah.
1: well, it's pretty hard, right? To put together the set of 20 backs,
3: yeah. <laughs> Oh. You gotta remember, though, I come from the era where cardbacks were like, eh, I don't care what cardback it is, whatever yeah. it is, it is, and like this idea that, and I understand, like I get it. That it's like, okay, the twenty backs, a lot of them are pretty, pretty rare and legitimately rare, not just like sort of some fabricated, manufactured rarity, but, but uh, man, that seems like a lot, a thousand dollars.
1: Yeah, <laughs> so, yeah, that, that that that's a pretty
3: spicy meatball. I mean, I remember, like you know, way back to. When I started, it was like there was there was nothing that was discarded that was a thousand dollars.
2: nothing
1: right right. <laughs> right, yeah,
3: and now it's like to think a death star droid is a thousand, that's like that figure, <laughs> yeah <laughs> seems kind of insane,
1: yeah, well, what's interesting is the way he did it in the in the auction is he shows the the page where it is, and he's kind of like seems like he's almost like screen matching, you know. Uh, yeah. Kind of like, it's almost like becoming, in a way, also prop collecting. Uh, but you don't get, in. neither of you does that stuff, right? Because... Yeah,
3: I'm in. I'm into prop collecting. Oh, you are? Yeah, just, uh, actually just have a few things, but really started getting into it more heavily in the last, probably two years or so. So, I've kind of transitioned because I've, you know, most of the, the toy stuff that I've wanted, I've got, except for just a few key things here and there that I keep my eye out for, but, it was kind of like, oh, there's not really anything here. I could really just sort of keep collecting. So I kind of shifted over to the prop side. Yeah.
1: Right. And, and I mean, Duncan, you know, you got the cast and crew, but do you do that as well?
0: I do. I have a, a pretty good collection of props, but, um, uh, they're so expensive that it is fairly limiting. And what I did on those was I decided to stop just getting kind of any prop and go for things that are just more iconic when you can see them and know instantly what they are, even if you're not a super huge Star Wars collector. Right.
1: Because yeah. I, mean, I guess what I was thinking was it seems to me that a lot of the the collectors who remember when carded figures were 20 bucks it seemed like a lot of them went into prop collecting. And that seemed to have made prop collecting – I mean, in addition to other things, go up. So I often wonder if there's like prop collectors who are sitting there like folding their
3: arms being like,
1: I remember when you could get Tarkin's pants for $100. Oh, there, <laughs> absolutely,
3: there absolutely is. I mean, talk to some people like Brandon Nalinger or uh, um, Stephen Lane and they'll tell you stories about finding props at, at flea markets just like we could tell you stories of finding proof cards at flea markets and how you know used to be a rebel blaster, I could get it for five hundred bucks and things like that all those it 's kind of funny the parallels right. between the prop collecting world and the toy collecting world, and even the timelines are really similar like um, sort of the golden age of at least the high end star Wars stuff was i would say probably ninety six to two thousand and two was when like there was this massive push for digging things up and finding it and bringing it to market. And is like this golden age. And that was about the same time, maybe a little bit earlier, maybe like, maybe like 1990 to 99. But that was about the same era where these prop guys, and not just for Star Wars, but for other movies as well, that, that whole prop um, collectibles uh, hobby just really started to grow and people work doing the same thing we were doing in star Wars is going and digging stuff up and calling the guys and going and visiting them and buying collections. And, and it's really kind of interesting how they, they parallel each other and, and um, Brandon's a friend of mine and, you know, we've discussed it some whenever we talk, which isn't very often usually just at conventions and stuff. Um, you know, it's, it's kind of cool. And I kind of go, Oh man, if only I had been doing the movie stuff then instead of the toy stuff, you know, right. what kind of things was But but that's okay.
1: <laughs> but, but, I mean, there's, some of us who are saying, if only I was doing the vintage stuff instead of the modern stuff. So <laughs> Yeah, that's true. Because it, it's not like my, uh, you know, uh, Star Wars saga blue card, uh, Luke with bloody stump is eventually going to be worth $6,000. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> well, I guess stranger things <clears throat> happened. But, yeah, no, that's, uh, that, that wound up being a lot more, well, you know, Steve, every time I ask, uh, I ask, you guys don't. This this isn't something you can talk about. They they talk for a long time. So, <laughs> uh,
3: your trademark is stupidity.
1: It's good that maybe they can help me figure out why a uh, what the skew on footer means. Did you see this? So there's yeah a, yeah a Darth Vader twelve back, and it's an eighty five, and it went for six thousand one hundred dollars. So uh, that that's two thousand dollars more. Then the Empire Strikes Back. Uh, Han, ha. Do you guys know what the SKU on, on footer is? Uh,
0: well, the the SKU is uh, is a number that's an ID number for that figure. Um, the only thing I can think of is that maybe there's that a matching number inside on that little tray. I don't know what the footer is unless it would be that little cardboard piece inside the the bubble. That he's uh, standing on. I, I don't know. I'm not familiar with that term.
3: Yeah. So um,
0: actually, I pronounced
3: that. I was confused. I'm like, what's he talking about? Yes, you pronounce that skew. Not oh. skew. It's pronounced <laughs> skew. As no, clumsy as he is stupid. So <laughs> it's it's a term um. I can't remember exactly what it stands for. It's an acronym, sellable something unit. I can't remember what the K stands for. So it's a manufacturing term. A SKU would be like, you know, uh, a Hoover vacuum cleaner might be a one SKU. And in that product line, the you know, they sell the bags separately. So the bags would be a SKU. And maybe they sell the a replacement um, uh, drive band, and that would be a SKU. So anything that's like the sellable unit
0: okay. is a SKU.
3: So um, the footer is, you know, the piece that's underneath his feet, the little carded thing, card panel that's under his foot. So apparently, and I mean, I had heard about these, but I didn't realize, you know, they were this kind of rarity that some of them have some things printed on that footer. So usually when you have SKUs, manufacturing there will be a SKU number associated with it. So that when retailers or whatever are ordering your part, they order it by the SKU number. So they'll know you'll know. Oh, I want SKU six nine eight eight four seven, and that'll be this thing. And they order it by a number rather than a description because descriptions can be similar and confusing. So apparently, this one is would be one that had the SKU number was printed on that footer, and I oh. guess that wasn't done very often, or or you know it's pretty rare to see the SKU printed on the on the footer underneath his feet, but. Um, it doesn't okay. actually show. A, does it even show a picture on this eBay page? It doesn't really no, of the no. of the footer. Not
2: but in really. the description, it talks about how I guess the very first twelve back Vaders after the double telescoping were were used. I guess had had this footer with the printing of the SKU number on it. So yeah, man, I, that's a huge premium for that. I didn't realize that is that is really kind of crazy yeah. for, a, for a variation like that.
1: Yeah, I'm going to have to go look and see if I got any skews.
2: Skoos, Sky, guy's
1: No, it's skews. I got it right this time.
0: It's skews, yes.
1: Excuse me.
0: <laughs> yeah, I'm checking mine out right now, and I don't see any on mine. Oh, so man. I, I didn't win. <laughs>
1: uh, did you get the Boba Fett with a half moon on his hand? Okay, yeah. <laughs> so it's, it's almost midnight here on the East Coast, which means that there's only time for one more thing, Steve.
2: That's feedback. No.
1: They, they're not going to sit around on feedback. They're going to they're no. get the lightning round, and then you oh, and I right. get feedback. Oh, right. that's right. So uh, we're, we're, going to, we're going to ask them uh, sort of a, a group lightning round question.
0: So be it.
1: The last bit of space chess discussion. So the first question is a new one, and so Steve gets to be asked the same question. Okay. Which is what is your favorite bad line, of dialogue from a Star Wars film? Again, to give you the example, mine is "Pilot land over there by that assembly area." That is my favorite <laughs> bad line from a Star Wars movie. Steve, you've had a month to think about it. What is your favorite bad line from a Star Wars movie?
0: It's going
2: to come from Episode Three, and it's a it's a one word line. I don't know if you want to call it a word even, but uh, it's when the Emperor just goes, "Yeah."
1: <laughs> yeah. comes in oh. the
2: beginning of the movie and that's when I knew oh man I'm in for some trouble
1: <laughs> oh man I love that line yeah <laughs> <laughs> oh wow alright how, how about you Duncan what's your favorite bad line from the Star Wars movie
0: could you tell Luke is that who you could tell <laughs> <laughs> Um. I oh. also I kind of have bad scenes that I, I think about um you know, as opposed to like bad lines or whatever, but just things that don't quite fit uh, or little mistakes that you can kind of find. And so like one example is um, Wicket and – or Wald and um, Kitster in The Phantom Menace when he wins – when Anakin wins the Padres. Oh, yeah. Uh, One of them jumps up and the other one goes to high-five him and then (laughs) they have to switch and the other one's like, oh, high-five and then jump. The other one jumps.
1: Oh uh, yeah, I, lo- I love that because you can tell they just they so awkward and they just don't quite make it. But but I got to say, there's, there's a to- good
0: one in uh, Star Wars also where uh, they're coming up out of the cargo hold from the Millennium Falcon, and Alec Guinness tries to jump out and he realizes that he doesn't have quite the strength in order to get all the way out, so he just kind of stops and then kind of nods at Chewbacca.
1: Oh, man, I I never seen that, but I I have to say I want to do a, a a fan edit of return of the jedi where after he says you could tell luke is that who you could tell and then it just ends there like how awesome would it be if it ended with a note of discord and it's like it just, da, 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 da. like no he's my brother no Yubnub. nub uh, oh that's great how about you cj what's your favorite bad line? oh character?
3: i i gotta say probably the uh from uh, Attack of the Clones, the truly, deeply love you line, which was A, very cheesy, and B, delivered even cheesier.
1: Yeah, yeah, that's, that's a pretty bad one.
3: It's pretty bad.
1: It's no pilot land over there by that assembly area. But uh, <laughs> <laughs> All right, uh, now, so then let, let's see. For the completest. what is your Holy Grail item that you're still looking for?
0: Well, that's kind of an interesting one because there's so many. Um, that's the one good thing about being a completist is there's always something I need, uh, so I can always find something. But uh, so each category would kind of have its own thing. Um,
1: but just if we could say one thing you could you could buy right now, any anything in the Star Wars universe, what would it be?
0: I would really like the uh, droids cartoon series uh, C three PO carrying case. I think that's kind of something that I would really like, but I think that's kind of a one of.
1: Huh? So it's a droid. The the one
0: with the with the with the cardboard sleeve, not just kind of loose by itself.
1: Oh, Oh, I'm I'm a little bit uh, out of my league here. I didn't know that that was something that either was or was not (laughs) made in great quantities. So you you but you know where one is and but you don't know if there's another.
0: Correct. Uh, there's one in our book, so you can take a guess as to who has it, and if it's not me. <laughs> okay.
1: <laughs> oh, so Matthias has it. All right. That makes sense. <laughs> <laughs> uh, all right. How, how about uh, you, CJ? Besides, or is it the uh, the the uh, the poke the pock? Uh
3: no! I mean, that's that's one of them. There's a couple things, but if I really have to go, with, you know what i'm more collecting today which isn't so much the toys i would have to say the macro binocular prop that was uh shown at the prop store of london uh display at oh, wow. celebration last celebration that thing was just pretty fantastic and um you know would fit right in with the whole Han hoth thing so I've um that's the only sort of there's only like two Han hoth prop items that i know of that are out there that's one of them and the other one is um the uh, little miniature Tauntaun puppet um, clothing – I don't think the puppet still doesn't exist, but the clothing uh, was in an auction recently. Actually, I believe Gus may have snagged that one. I'm not sure of that. But, uh, uh, so the stop-motion animation puppet clothing was out there, but uh, I just think the macro binoculars would be pretty, pretty cool.
1: Yeah, yeah, although it would be really hard not to take them out and just use them all the time. <laughs>
3: Especially in the winter and it's snowy.
1: Yeah, yeah, no kidding. All right, so then any the event, uh, Duncan, that the Sitsonian were, were, you know, besieged by a Russian meteor, uh, what, what would be the one item? You could only take one from the nearly complete collection.
0: Well, this kind of ties in with an earlier episode when you were talking about IG-88. Okay. Uh, the large size IG-88 in box was my holy grail for 1980 to 1990, uh, just looked for that thing forever, and my then fiance um, knew that that was something that I was really, really interested in. She didn't really understand the whole Star Wars thing, but uh, she and my mom managed to track down one in box and gave it to me as a wedding gift.
1: Oh man, yeah that that's that's like the perfect gift, you know, like a high end Star Wars item Absolutely. that you didn't it was so have. Cool. Oh man, well that's that's maybe the best answer we've ever had to that question. That's really good. It has, like ties in previous episodes and like that really shows how rare and how valuable that item was. That's awesome. Well, I, I don't mean to set you up for a, for a dis- disappointing answer. CJ, what, what would be yours? Oh, oh,
3: no, because I have what is arguably one of the best stories ever of collecting. I will tell you right now. Oh my God. Here Sorry, go. Duncan. I'm going to outdo be on this one. So the one piece I would keep. So here's the story. Back in the days when I was going to Cincinnati quite often and visiting people, uh, there's this one guy that we we visited on several different trips. He had a couple friends, and he had a lot of stuff. Actually, it was the guy who had the gigantic um, coin, all the, the hard copies and things like that, it was the same guy. <clears throat> so this was probably the third time we went and visited him, and um, he was always kind of theatrical about the whole thing. He would like, he knew we were kind of excited. So he'd like, he'd bring out these cardboard boxes and set them on the table. Don't look yet. I'm going to bring out, you know, he'd go back, get another box. He'd walk on slow and just really making a production out of it. And um, so then <clears throat> once we'd open them up and start looking through them, you know, it was, you know, see all kinds of crazy and uh, amazing things. It was just, he always had really high quality stuff, but there was one trip only one trip I went on that my wife, my wife went with me. And uh, so we're sitting there and there was this one box that had some artwork and some prints and proofs and things like that in it. And so I'm rifling through it and I'm pulling out a couple of these things and I'm looking at it and I pull out this one little piece. It's, it's the, uh, it was a piece of concept artwork for the die cast Y wing backdrop Huh. It it looks a lot like the Macquarie artwork of the Y Wing. Okay. But this was a so one of the Kenner guys had taken the uh that McQuarrie artwork obviously, sketched out his own concept version, and then they made eventually made even a different version, which was that, the actual backdrop. So this is like a concept art piece. It was like marker and pencil. And um <clears throat> I looked down in the corner and see this name there and I turn to my wife and I go Her name's Melinda. I said, Mel, look at this. You won't believe this. She looks at it and she goes, oh, that's nice. That's kind of cool. I said, no, 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 no. Look at the name in the corner. And she goes, she looks down and she goes, oh, my gosh, that's my uncle. (laughs) We had found a piece of artwork that her uncle had drawn when he worked at Kenner in 1978 or 79. Wow. At this guy's house. And we're able to purchase that piece and bring it back into the family. Oh, that's awesome. So if I had to rescue one thing, that would be the piece. Because that is the best story I have out of all my collecting years. So yeah, that's and that's, that's, that, that's what I like about the collecting. I like the stories behind this stuff. It's really fascinating.
1: Yeah, is, is that like, uh, I mean, we should have had you guys on for February. These are like the most romantic stories I've ever heard. <laughs>
3: So that was just that was just so cool to think that, like, I mean, what are the odds that I would meet her and we would get married and then I would get involved in collecting and go down there and meet a guy and that I'd be there and she'd be with me and that he would have this piece that my uncle drew that got passed around for 15 years. I mean, the coincidences are just kind of staggering that that could even happen. Wow, that's awesome.
1: We're going to have a hard time with the next guest trying to trying to top those two. Um, but unfortunately, Steve appears to have just dropped off. Um, so he's not going to get to hear the answer to the last question and not going to be able to say goodbye. You know, why don't I just call you back so that that way, and then we'll just be the, the, answer to the last question, and then hang up. Is that all right? Hmm? It just, it'll weird if he's not there to say goodbye. Okay. One second. Yeah, no problem. All right. Well, Steve, you just missed like two of the greatest collecting stories you will ever hear. They'll <laughs> warm your heart. You'll be amazed with the, just the cosmic nature of existence and the kismet that can exist between two souls in a seemingly random universe. But you're going to have to wait to hear it because they're not going to tell it again. But no, I, did I figured make sure, just as much. I did make sure to, to bring you back uh, in, t- in time for the, the great cosmic question. Uh, okay. Seeing as we're getting philosophical. So we'll, we'll, uh, we'll do it uh, snake style here and we'll ask CJ now. If you were – a piece of vintage Star Wars memorabilia, which one would you be?
3: Oh, I, I thought about this a lot, and I think I would have to choose an old school vintage iron-on transfer t-shirt.
2: Nice. Yeah, good good call.
3: I just, man, I had so many of those things when I was a kid, and I remember going to the little the little shops in the mall, and you'd go in there, and all these things are plastered up on the wall, and you got to pick which shirt you wanted, and you got to pick which one you wanted, and then iron-on right there for you. Oh, that's great,
1: and and do you uh, see that this is why you know, we should probably have you know definitely more complete on because now I just want to know like where are the hard iron arms to find? What were they made in different countries? You know, uh, all that kind of stuff. Uh,
3: I couldn't answer you there. Maybe Duncan can.
1: Yeah.
0: yeah.
3: it's all in the book.
1: It's all in the book. All right. Well, then I just I did have one more idea just to float out because you, you guys are are. Unlike Steve, you you pay attention to Star Wars. Uh, I I was thinking about making you know because they canceled Clone Wars and you don't know what happened to Ahsoka, making Ahsoka Tano lives like shirts, but misspelling her name, you know, like Darth Vader lives. And I was thinking, that's a
0: great tie. Yeah, I like that.
1: Yeah, so it could be like uh, you Ahsoka Tano like T A H N O, like Tano lives. I I, I don't know. I it seemed to me to be a, a good idea that would only be really appreciated by a small subsection of people who know about the original misspelling and appreciate Clone Wars.
0: So well, sure that's us have the fun right there is to, to be so elitist that uh, nobody else is going to figure it out. Exactly.
1: <laughs> yeah. Um, so then that, that brings you uh, Duncan. We've, we figured out what's the one thing you would save. Um, well, Steve hasn't figured it out because he's in the <laughs> connection and his new uh, love nest is not working. Um, <laughs> but uh if you were one, which one would you be?
0: Oh, that wasn't me by the way <laughs> yeah, yeah <sorry>. um, <laughs> he, he's he's
1: allergic to your insight
0: <laughs> that's right. well, it's kind of funny talking about the iron on t shirts because in uh, eighth grade, we all had to do uh presentations uh speeches in in class, uh-huh. and it had to be like i think five minutes or ten minutes long what it was you know most people were dreading theirs, and I ended up doing on Star Wars collecting. And it ended up taking the entire hour. And the, one of the, the things first, that I did, did was The first panel that, ever. The first panel yeah, exactly. ever given by Duncan. <laughs> that was my very first panel. You're right. That wait, was where it all started. Wait, what year was this again? Uh, 1980, nineteen eighty, eighty or 81. I think it was 80. Wow. Wow. Damn. Yeah, and so one of the things I did was I wore every single Star Wars T-shirt that I had. And so I had over 20 T-shirts on at one time. <laughs> and so i came in and said you know they made a lot of star wars items and that was back then um they made you know red darth vader t-shirts and i took it off and then it'd be like a green jawa shirt and took it off and the yellowed yellow uh, chewbacca shirt and so t- you know and so just kept on going and people were just rolling on the floor thinking it was pretty fun Oh
3: man you've got to do that as an mc one of these years of yes. celebration <laughs> yes.
0: you have to
3: <laughs> oh
1: yeah like we- we'll start passing the hat now to raise fo- you name the charity We're we're gonna do the full Monty strip show with Duncan wearing as many vintage pieces of clothing as possible. Like they made a lot of different kinds of windbreakers, they made a lot of different kinds of sweatshirts, they made a lot of different kinds of (laughs) of socks. i that's a. I'll
0: draw the line at the underoos though. Yeah,
1: exactly. You just well at the last underoos, you know, like you have to have one as the base layer, but you can take off a few layers of underoos. Wow, and I, of course it's hard to picture you as anything other than looking the way you do now. So I just see like a long-haired, you know, guy like in 1980. I just see you then, now, you know. Uh, that's great.
0: Sadly, that was not the case. I didn't uh, didn't grow the hair out until after I got out of high school. So I was just uh, a little wallflower back in those days. Yeah.
1: Uh, so so let's. Uh, so to
0: answer your real question. <laughs> yes. um i would uh i would definitely be a uh collect them all store display <laughs> nice uh ah, perfect uh
1: I mean, you don't even have to explain it that's nope. excellent <laughs> <laughs> uh, awesome well well thank you guys both so much you've uh you know i remember when i when i asked you you know if you do it you're like how long like eh, probably no more than an hour and a half two hours and i don't know how long it's been. But uh, it's been great having you guys on, and uh, thanks for, for putting up with uh, technical difficulties and just our, our kind of weirdness.
0: And uh,
1: we, we really appreciate uh, having you guys come on.
0: Yeah, anytime. Yeah, thanks, guys. Yeah, my pleasure. I've had a great time. And uh, just as an aside, because in honor of this being Han Hoffman, while we were uh, recording here, I just uh, found out that I won an auction for a Return of the Jedi pallet toy Han Hoth, so can add hey, that to the market hey. watch. Wow! Very
1: nice. How much did you win it for?
0: About fifty pounds, so I think that's about seventy-five bucks or so. Not too bad.
1: Yeah, excellent. Oh, cool. Hey, that was super real-time market watch. <laughs> yeah. All right, awesome. Well, we'll uh, we'll see you guys down the line, and uh, thanks again.
3: All right, thanks. Uh, All right, take care. Bye. Wow.
1: I see your point, sir. All right. All right. Whew. Well, that was a that was a good talk, yeah, there, Steve. Yeah, it was good. It's uh, just a wealth of information. It's, it's, it's so funny. Vic, are you involved in that club? I started it. Oh, oh, cool. Are you involved in this? Yeah, I I named it. Oh, how about that? Um, you go, you're good at scouting talent for the show, Scott I' got to say: Yeah I'm not good at researching what they actually are done, but yeah, well yeah, that, it took a real genius to do Han Hoff and then ask the world's number one Han Hoff collector to come on and talk <laughs> And there was more about the early bird reaction, so there was That's more right. uh, more uh, There was actually scooped out, and it wasn't by, uh, by a Canadian know-it-all. It was actually by, by Sean Kay. And, okay. Uh, I'm not, not going to read them all because, uh, well, it's like 12.30 and I've got to wake up and drive the kids and I've got to go get a conference on parents <laughs> of Islam and French hip-hop videos. Uh, and I have so many midterms to grade Steve, I don't know why I sign these things. Uh, <laughs> but anyways, there's a, kind of a neat one that he points out that was from uh, the Mount Airy News. And uh, it just kind of – it's like a conspiracy theory. Saying that they're trying to create a shortage of right, right Star Wars toys on purpose, um, which I don't think is which I don't think is true. Um, there's also a pretty good picture uh, that was posted of uh, a Star Wars early bird on a Christmas tree.
2: Yeah, that is pretty good.
1: And I don't know where that picture came from, um, but uh, it's 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 a pretty good piece. Uh, in general, though, I would say there uh oh and it was it was Ross who shared that picture with us, um, so we we'll have even more Canadian love um, as long as it was the canadian ross right yeah
2: that was, I think that's yeah. the uh that's the Ross we're yeah. thinking of yeah it's Canadian
1: Ross um, but uh there actually wasn 't that much uh feedback this month i don 't know if it was something we said i don 't know if uh, it was too long people never finished uh, listening to the end of it um Paul did revolt against the Vintage Pod name change. Um, yeah. <laughs> we had a couple of people talk about starting a, a, a petition. Uh, you know, once it doesn't work, we'll go back to calling it Kivecast Classic, and we'll go back to that. Uh, got a nice email from Derek who mentions that, that Vader screams because, you know, you have to breathe in through the respirator, so it was probably unpleasant. Uh, we did get a visit from Canada's Greatest Know-It-All. This
3: is why I'm proud to be Canadian.
1: This season on Canada's Greatest Know-It-All. Scott! That's
2: right, another great picture. He always has photographic evidence, which I love.
1: (laughs) Yep, and it's of the 12-inch Han Hoth, uh, wearing his scarf in a bow. Yes. uh, Kind of like a -a cat-in-a-hat bow, um... And then, what else does he have, Steve? He has a red lightsaber. Now, what I'm wondering is, was that like, was he ever going to have a lightsaber to imitate the Tauntaun scene? Probably not. Probably not. But I, I always did love how Han just seemed to be so uncomfortable holding on to lightsaber. Yeah, that, that
2: was something I definitely picked up on as a kid, too. I'm like, he's not supposed to have that. <laughs> yeah.
1: <laughs> and even the modern toys, they pack them with a lightsaber now. And it's just, Yeah. It just feels wrong. Um, although, I have to say, I may have gotten my favorite bit of feedback ever, Steve.
2: Someone's liking your tunes.
1: Yes, yeah, so someone emailed me uh, from, actually from Dundee, Scotland, and uh, I've actually been to Dundee, Scotland, it's not a, uh, it's not on the tourist junket of Scotland, um, I stopped there because I love the Smiths and they have the song "Hang the DJ, and he talks about Dundee and, uh, and you know, I like crocodiles, um, <laughs> but, uh, so we actually had, had been there, so that, that was kind of fun. Um, but he he said you know he just discovered it and he's getting back into back into it, and then he asked me where did I find the music, and he said it reminds me of the old Kenner TV commercials, but it's much groovier. What is it? And uh, Steve, that that just tickled my ego. Because, yeah, I'm
2: sure it did.
1: Because I'm a failed <laughs> musician, you know. I I I wanted to be a, a rock and roll star when I was when I was in high school. And now my greatest contribution to music is an intentional rip-off of the old Kenner song. So, but it's, uh,
2: it's an original composition, right? Yep, it's
1: so. 100% original. You can That song, I we could never be sued, sued for that. Every, every other drop we have, we'd have to take off. But that song uh, is inspired by... Um, and if, if, you, if you listen to him back-to-back, you can tell. The main thing I wanted to get, because it's actually all thanks to, to Chris Jurglius' Kenner video... You know, you'd like kind of skip through to find the one that you want. Yeah. Every single one. Go.
0: It's probably not purple. I say that. (laughs) Go. 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 Go.
1: Yeah. So even those guys were trying to get around using Williams music. Yeah, that's true. It's like a third generation, you know, bootleg of the original Star Wars theme, It works. Yep, so so that works, and that's that. And Steve, that leaves us to the fact that what's happening next week, Steve?
2: That would be the fantasy baseball draft.
1: Yes, just the sound of a thousand Kivecast listeners screaming in agony. Um, (laughs) So uh, that'll be pretty fun. Uh, I've already asked, Steve, how many mock drafts have you done?
2: Uh, I'm going to go with a goose egg on that one.
1: Dude, you've got to get in the game, Steve. This is your year. What do you mean it's my year? This is your year. <laughs> uh, yeah. uh. And, and for our Canadian listeners out there, I, I am currently in first place in, in, a, in the pool that I'm in. So you'd be proud of me, Canadians. I got back into hockey, and I'm wicked into it. And uh, yeah, I've got my favorite players, uh, Evander Kane and Brzezgalov a Russian, and a guy who people Winnipeg don't like. And I've officially lost my mind, Steve, because I'm talking (laughs) way too much about a Winnipeg Jet, but I'm making some Canadians happy. Um, And in the end, that's what we really want. So, uh, with that, Steve, do you know who our next month uh, figure is?
2: I'm gonna... actually don't know for sure. I'm just gonna throw out a guess. It'll Uh, be Lando. uh,
1: Hello. Who do we have here? That's right. (laughs) And... uh, I don't know. I don't know how many Lando collectors are out there. Maybe it will be a good time to actually get back in touch with Brock. Um, I'm here. I'm here. Uh, uh, we look forward to talking to you all next month. I hope you enjoy the episode. And uh, what was the one more thing I was going to say?
2: Wappa Wappa! Adios!